episode two of Movies and Shit, a continuation, Max. Oh, shit. A continuation of a, a previous conversation we had, which we intended to do all in one shot. We'll do it in one. We'll do it live. We'll get it done. Didn't happen. I was like, yeah, we'll be able to cover the entire show in like an hour and some change. And did not happen. We failed you. But I feel like this is a, a good failure because it's one of those things where like either we're doing our job really well or we've scared people away by how little you know structure there was in the first place. Right. I mean, it is close to two hours of us talking about the first five episodes of the first season of Game of Thrones, but I like to think it moved along pretty well. And, you know, now that we've gotten all the preamble out of the way, we can really just like dig into the meat of the season. This is when shit's going down. Um, So starting us right off on episode six, what's episode six called again? A golden crown, Maxwell, a golden crown, a little foreshadowing, you know, right, right in the title. I mean, They're not subtle about that, are they? Golden crowns, and this is not what you're thinking. (laughs) The golden crown picks up, and as you might have remembered, episode five ends with the holy shit, the mano y mano moment with Ned and Jamie, except for it to be ruined by a pikeman who spears him through the leg. Some fucking chode with his pike, and he's like, "Hey, I'm going to jump into this mix." You know what we didn't talk about in that scene is the fact that Jamie was also pissed about that and punches the shit out of him, I think, immediately. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Which is does. like, come on, good stuff, right? It makes you like Jamie just a little bit more because at this point in the show, I mean, I was hating Jamie. But j- just for that, I was like, okay, he's got some level of honor there. Right. Maybe not honor is the right word. Well, right. <laughs> the thin line between honor and dishonor, Jamie Lannister's. <laughs> especially in that early season because they're again the barristan selby moment and that moment where at least he wanted to fight him straight up shows he's got a little bit of honor but in any case we pick up episode six and uh ned is waking up in a fever dream type of state he's delirious he's obviously on some kind of painkillers what is that milk of the poppy right is that what they call that shit just straight up opium uh yeah but come on we had to give it a cute name that's what we do uh so he wakes up, homie wakes up, and uh, we get this really weird kind of POV where King Robert is like watching him sleep or something. <laughs> like the true love that he is to, uh, to oh, King Robert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he, he wakes up and he, and he sees him there, <clears throat> but not, not just King Robert by himself. Cersei's also in the room. And right. we kind of get into some shit almost immediately because now the shit is at the fan. Everyone's well aware that Tyrion's been taken prisoner and that he's in the veil and Catelyn's responsible and Ned's just like I've been here the whole time like you know what I mean I mean that's the truth I mean like this that's what I feel bad about him is like he's navigating a fucking conspiracy but on top of that his wife is just acting a fool like you know what I mean away from him where he can't do anything about it and on top of that now he's he's a fucking little hobbled Ned Stark man right fucking bedridden and all delirious and shit like this is got a lot on his plate right and he still wears it like a fucking champ by the way like you know he doesn't complain about it he just fucking hobbles around yeah that's what what people from the north do man he's been through winters yeah i really i like this scene but i feel i feel shame for why i liked this scene so let's see let's see if we can work through it Okay. There's a scene here where uh, King Robert is, is pushing back against Cersei in this moment, right? Because she's like, you need to fucking do something about this. And he's like, everyone calm the fuck down. And right. she tries to go after his fucking emasculate and tries to go after his fucking manhood. And he's like, uh, I should be wearing the crown and you should be wearing the dress. King Robert smacks the fucking shit out of her, okay? 
Is that no. the reason you like this scene? Yeah. Like, here's the problem. Because <laughs> I don't believe hitting women is cool. I don't want to advocate that. However. That was a joke question, by the way. I was like, I was sure that you were going to say anything else. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing. It's the line of dialogue that I like the most. Because it's not even the violence. It's just the, it's the part after she gets hit. Cersei straight up says, like, I should wear this like a badge of honor. And Robert's like, wear it in silence or I'll honor you again. And I'm like, oh my, look, as far as abusive lines go, like. Yeah, you know what? Like it, people talk about him like he's some dumb shul- uh, soldier or whatever, but. Uh, Robert, quick wit. He's got some zingers, man. The fucking vaudevillian, you know, stage performer, man. He's killing it. He's got, he's Groucho Marx in his prime. That's what I think about Robert Baratheon. Groucho Marx in his prime, hitting his <laughs> wife, saying something witty. All right, so that scene happens. We we cut back over to the east, the far east. We see Danny, the dragon egg. She's got them all fucking getting all fiery and stuff like that. And and she picks up the dragon egg, which has been in the flames. Her handmaiden's like, no, look, Khaleesi freaks out, grabs it, burns her hands. You know who isn't burned though, Max? Who? Um I was trying to think of any other character in the Tatharaki nation that wasn't Cal Drago. I'm like, holy shit, secretly two dragons, but didn't yeah, happen. There's like that one other guy that, you know, Jorah talks to sometimes about right. swords. They don't, yeah. they don't get a lot of character development. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that in retrospect? Like, because here's the thing. It, it is a, a magnificently plotted show and everything's really good, but they do kind of shortchange some of those people. And even when they bring them back, it's not like they did anything with it. Yeah, well, yeah, that, there are some issues there, especially going into season two and uh, onward from there. But we don't have to talk about that right now because we're talking about season goddamn True statement, true statement. Um, all right, so I just wanted to point that out because, again, furthering the exposition of, hey, she's unburned, you know. We get it, all right? It's like the fifth instance, guys. Okay. Like, speed Fire. up the fucking story. Great. Um, but from there, we cut back to Winterfell, and this is like a cute little scene with Bran, and he's in his saddle, and everything's real happy. But then, motherfucker, yeah. why is it, first of all, Bran, you're fucking disabled, okay? I mean, they say crippled in their world. I won't stoop to that level, you know, because I'm not Martin. Right. But you're disabled, guy. You're, you're you just learn how to ride a horse again. He's disabled. Yeah. <laughs> you just learn how to ride a horse again, and you're just like, I'm just going to wander off into the dark woods. You know what I mean? Right. I well, mean, who's the who's kid. the lady? Who's the lady that, that she ends up sticking around Winterfell? I forget her name, but that's her first introduction. Yeah, I forget her name too. But she's wonderful. The wildling? Yeah. Yeah, she's great. So basically Bran gets attacked by like this uh, small trio of wildlings and they're all like, oh, little lord, pretty horse, whatever. And they're like going to like fuck Bran up and take a shit, whatever. Right. And, uh, intervention time. Um, fucking Rob and uh, what's his nuts, Theon. Right. Fucking Theon. Like, I, I'm sorry because I just rewatched this episode the other day, and he's in the most like. Remember how fucking angry we, we were at Ollie in like season five or season four or whatever with the arrow? It's the yeah. same pose, dude. Just the same like smug, pugnacious fucking like, look what I did, ma. And I just hate him so much. Oh, right. He's just so desperate for approval on any well yeah like any any level <laughs> like right. any morsel even anger because that's an emotion he wants someone to engage with him he wants someone to react to him in some way, oh, some way. man uh but again did they do any like actual foreshadowing in that scene i'm trying to remember because it's like the, at this point a lot of the foreshadowing has been with theon and uh and Tyrion. 
like when they had that scene because he's really hammering home like yo you're you're a captor all right let's not pretend like you're a stark you know what i mean but in that scene he still came to the defense it didn't seem like there was any uh seeds of discontent yet right Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that that's the thing about Theon is that he's this lost soul. Like, he's constantly making these grand declarations. Like, even calls Rob Stark, he's like, you're my brother, and right. I'll follow you anywhere into battle. And then at the first uh, opportunity to appease his father, he completely uh, goes the opposite way. Like, he just goes all in on whatever will win him the nearest approval in the moment. And right. like that's the fucking tragedy of the character as we go along. But I think Alfie Allen, again, like really plays it well. Like I can't give him enough credit for the notes he has to play later too. Yeah, no, man, absolutely. I mean, Winterfell is actually largely absent after that moment. So I guess this was really just a table setting thing to kind of like one, I think expositionally show that even uh, wildlings are like, fuck that, man. We got to go south. Right. You know what I mean? Because there's like a real urgency to it. So I think that that's the purpose it serves there. But then we cut back to King's Landing and like two uh, really interesting things happen there, which is the, uh, well, it's not even like super interesting to the overall plot, but I love it because we get the introduction of the Serio Pharrell, like, you know, uh, not today, you know what I mean? Which is like, how many times has that been quoted in pop culture? I feel like that is a top five Game of Thrones quote and it's yes, from a, it a character who gone. R.I.P. Rip. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, some really important shit happens in this episode. Like, holy mm-hmm. goddamn hell. Um, right. where, where do you want to really jump in here? Well, I mean, it depends on uh, on if you want to cut back to the east or if you want to stay in King's Landing. If we stay in King's Landing, there's obviously like a couple things that I want to bring up because um, I, I we, we end in the east because the episode does. Sure. Um, okay. Um, King's Landing stuff I want to bring up very quickly. Uh, the, the Lannisters are trying to make a power play. That was a pregnant pause on purpose to really get you to understand how serious this is. Well, they're trying to make a power play more than anything else. And Tywin who we've still not seen up until this point and do not see this episode either, but we hear his name, which yeah. is that we know that the mountain has gone and is burning like the villages, yeah. uh, reaping and pillaging the riverlands, which is exactly from that's her childhood home. And now she's doing this for what purpose? Like the purpose of it really is, or he's, he's doing it rather is doing it to like try to lure Ned Stark out of the, the safety of King's Landing. You know what I mean? Like, which is clarify that it wasn't at the beginning of the episode that Robert has basically tasked Ned Stark with running the country. Right. While he's away on a hunting trip, which is also hugely important. So now Ned is for lack of a better word, the King right now he's acting King. Right. Um, and as this is happening and he's sitting on the throne, uh, some people from the Riverlands, uh, present him with all this information that the fucking mountain um, at service of Tywin Lannister is reaping and pillaging his way across the countryside. Right. And again, this is a pivotal moment because as you stated, he's, he's active King, like, you know, whatever the fuck temporary King, you know, interim King, there we go. Uh, And he takes the shit rather seriously because, and and I want to ask you about this because then a big decision happens. He's like, I can't give you back what you lost, but maybe I can give you justice. Like you tell Tywin Lannister to to basically subpoenas him fucking Mullers, this motherfucker and says, you need to come to King's Landing and account for this or you're an enemy of the crown, which right. is like, ah, oh, fuck, right? Now, did he do this because that's the true sense of uh, justice and whatnot? Or does he like, look, we are, we got four different conspiracy plates spinning right now, and I'm spiting the fuck out of this family because I don't know how to really read it. 
I, I think it might be a little bit of both, but I don't think that Ned is the kind of guy who would ever be able to admit to himself that he's doing something that is spiteful or making some kind of preemptive uh, attack or whatever. Right. Uh, Ty- Tywin is luring him out in, in dir- through indirect means. He's not directly attack- attacking Winterfell. He's attacking the homeland of his wife. Right. He's, he's working on the edges, and Ned is going straight for the gut. He's saying, you know, bring me Tywin Lannister to stand trial. And the mountain, you need to arrest him and strip him of all lands, titles, and holdings. And I love the reaction, by the way, of Grand Maester Pycelle, where he's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like, that's a little harsh, my lord. Right. But this motherfucker is like, is like a bag in the wind. <laughs> you know, Pycelle goes wherever he has to go, man. A bag in the wind. Dude, he's a goddamn cockroach post-nuclear holocaust. Like, he will survive. He will outlive everybody, you know? That's the interesting thing about myself. But, nice. um, but okay, so that scene happens. That's a really big deal, obviously, for the ramifications. Just in King's Landing, it's not like right. the Lannisters aren't there, <laughs> like, you know? Right. So, yeah, uh, he's effectively declared war on the Lannisters, more or less. Um, right. I don't, think he, I don't think he does fully understand the ramifications of that. And I don't think he fully understands how going about that bluntly is going to lead to the things that it leads to. Right. Do you, do you also kind of have the feeling that like either way Tywin was cool because like either he uh, does Lord Ned Stark out of King's Landing or he gets the overreaction to this, you know what I mean? So like either way he was putting himself in an advantageous position. Exactly. And he still has plausible deniability to say, you know, I wasn't attacking Starks. Yeah, you beckoned me. All right. Like I was fucking fine over in Casterly Rock. Yeah. You called my house. All right. So and I, I love the just the they, they make it pretty clear what that play is before you've even met this character. And it gives you a really good idea of what kind of person they're dealing with. Right. Like we'll speak about him in these hushed tones. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Actually, the next part of the King's Landing thing actually makes me go back and realize that I don't think it was necessarily like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Because the next revelation that we get um, is Ned Stark kind of looking at that, the history of lineage book that uh, John Aaron was also looking at where the seed is strong. Right. Um, and so he just looks, looks through everything casual, gets to house Baratheon starts looking down the fucking lineage and like, you know, we get the big revelation. He's like, Oh, born of black hair, born of black hair, born of black hair, Lonnie Berlin. Baratheon, born of black hair. Yeah, and then Joffrey, blonde of hair. Here's my problem with this. It it makes me a little mad. Understanding of genetics. It makes me a little mad. It makes me like, it's it's just one of those things where like, I guess if no one knew anything about genetics, then yeah, you can make that get away. But still, just the revelation, like had no one else fucking thought of this. And like I said in our first episode, the commoners fucking knew. Everyone knows but like right i don't know it just it was it, it's the one part of this first season where i'm just like well i guess this is the one time it's an actual story instead of being this like incredible thing they mm. needed a plot mechanism and this was the best they could do i guess does that make sense hey you know what it works for me and i'll tell you why like because it is like this kind of semi-common knowledge but it's something that nobody ever bothered to confirm right and it, it tells you a lot about Ned's character, continues to tell you a lot about him and just what he does with that information is, uh, we'll, we'll get into that in episode seven, especially. Um, Absolutely. But, but it is a turning point again, because the more Ned Stark it, it, knows it to happen or something, yeah. 
So yeah, yeah I'm kind of with you, but I, I, I kind of get it too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's jump east because that's pretty much it for Winterfell at that point. And by the way, Tyrion is in this episode. He's just hanging out in the Vale. He's not doing much. He's trying to get like a trial by combat thing. He's talking to that one prison warden guy who's adorable and right. very dumb. But What's his name Grog or something? He's uh, Angel is his name to me. He's perfect. He's, I love that Tyrion has to explain the concept of money. That's right. how this guy is. Well, it's, that's actually a real show of patience on his part because he's so used to just being like, eh, money. He has to explain right. the concept of currency first. Right. This guy wants to like keep hitting him with the club. He's like, I got money. <laughs> oh, money, money. And he's like, oh, what? <laughs> this, is like, this is literally like the, uh, the apes in 2001 seeing the fucking monolith. <laughs> like this guy discovering money. This guy is not far removed makes a really strong and bad case for revolution. Uh, but that's pretty much the only real development for Tyrion in, in this episode. I don't want you to think he's gone. He just doesn't have a lot to do. Is um, this the where he demands a trial by combat? Right. That's what I'm saying. So, he, well, he gets the message to, to, to Liza eventually. About this is actually a great scene because this is all in that episode, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So Tyrion uh, demands a trial by combat. Like, this is like another scene that's just continuing to sell me on the awesomeness of this character. Um, and I'll go through it briefly, but just the idea of him demanding a trial by combat. I'm going to have my brother, Jamie Lannister, be my champion. And crazy old Liza Aaron is like, nah, I'm not waiting that long. Right. And he's like, shit, am I going to have to fight myself? And then Bronn volunteers. And a friendship is born. Well, Bronn volunteers for the money. It's not like he's a good dude. He ends up being, that's like, that's like happy accident. You know what I mean? That's the cherry on top of every, everything else. Well, but. That's the best thing about Bronn is that he's, he's not there to be homies with anybody. He just wants money. He's a simple guy. If you it have is, the money, though, he is fiercely loyal. Like, that's the thing. He's the best friend you'll ever have as long as you have the money. <laughs> It's the most important component for him, man. It doesn't matter how good you are to him. It doesn't matter if you take care of him, give him property, give him wives, castles. Where's the Just money coming from? In a, in a laundry list of fucking nuanced, three-dimensional, compelling characters, I just love that Bron can be summed up in one sentence. He likes money. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. It is the one constant. He does not evolve as a character. It's always about money with him. And in a way, you respect it. Like, cause there's a, I don't want to get into it, but there's a scene later on where you're just like, yep, that's Bron, and it's always always been, and it'll never change. And- I, I do want to get to that one part where he, he defeats the Eliza Aaron's champion. Right. He goes, you fight with no honor, sir. And he's like, he did. Yeah, it's uh, a badass right. line. I mean, also, that whole scene's pretty awesome. great, though, because we don't like Titsucker, but Titsucker is kind of amazing at that scene. <laughs> he wants, I want to see him. Yeah, it's great. Oh, he kills it. And the things have progressed past that point. He was not listening. <laughs> well, he's got a very limited cognitive space for, for what's going on, man, in his defense. He's been crazy milk every day. Of course Listen. he does future fucking king or, or ruler or lord whatever the fuck he's gonna be of that land i don't know you know fucked up world where that, that that's the trumps of the world in, in in infancy man that's the problem <sighs> sorry sorry i lamented that that character exists in that world but um but yeah so we get that whole scene and then yeah you know bron saves him not yeah. out of altruism but that's fine bronze bron we love him the fact that he knows that lannisters always pay their debts but and i, I like that- 
I like that immediately Tyrion does pay our homie, our big guy, or whatever. Yeah, oh, shit, they really do always pay. That's not just a thing they say. Yeah, no, he's, he's amazing. But I also like how he just, like, he doesn't take the opportunity now that he is free to be like, for the record, I didn't kill him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, like, try to kill him. Like, right. he does it. He's like, all right, look, I tried. Go fuck yourself. Like, I don't owe you a fucking explanation anymore. I'm out. I'm going back to King's Landing. And it's just, it's a perfect, I don't know. It just makes you, again, like, he's a good guy, but he's, he's, when he's put in his time, he's put in his time, okay? He's not going to be fucking property people anymore. Right. Love he's him. The, he's the anti-Ned Stark, man. It's not that he's dishonorable, but, like, he, he's not going to fucking. Who's got the time to be honorable, you know? Um, okay. So, uh, from there, I think we cut back East finally, and we have a couple of things going on here. The, the first of which is Khaleesi's eating that heart, which is a big tradition within the Dothraki, uh, you know, community, the, the histories right. of these yeah, people. You gotta eat a horse heart. Um, here's the thing again, I love eating horse, by the way, it's made very clear again and again in this season. And well, here's the thing. Why are we so uppity about eating horses? I mean, it's, yeah, it's a good question because there is uh, some lines of dialogue, you know, when they find out Khaleesi's pregnant and she's like, Khaleesi wants something else for dinner tonight. And the guy's like, what do you want me to do? And she's like, get a duck. And he's like, do you see any ducks? And she's like, get a goat. And he's like, use your eyes, woman. And, and she's like, dude, he's, she's fucking pregnant. She doesn't want to eat horse today. <laughs> the guy's like, all right, find something. Fuck. Just a great little comedy scene that uh, gets <laughs> Sorry, it just really cracks me up, man. Um, but anyway, um, she, now she's eating a horse heart. Right. So got her wish. She's eating something different, a raw horse heart. And she's doing it in this tent, and everybody's like freaking out and having a great Death Rocky time. Right. And she can't throw up. That's the weird rule in this world. You can't throw it up. It's got to stay down. And they're all taking bets. Like, she'll never make it. And she makes it. Spoiler right. and, alert. And in the meantime, her brother is is seething at this point. Like, it's really sinking in that his status doesn't matter here. Right. And hers does. He's, He's seeing her rise above her. Yeah, he's almost got like a, a Gomer pile in the first part of Full Metal Jacket, like stare. Like he just doesn't right. give a fuck anymore, and he's very angry, and like he's about to explode. And but again, like restraint because we cut back to other things before we get to this actual scene. Because Khaleesi eats the heart, she's now fully accepted. I think this is kind of her at her at the peak of her Khaleesiness. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. They, the the call was all about it. You know, all of them were. All those Dothraki were like, fuck, Khaleesi, she's one of us now. This blondie can eat a horse heart like any of us. It is actually really heartwarming that they, like, embraced her as quickly as they did, you know, because that shit would not happen in Inverse, you know? Like, Dothrakis would never be accepted into the the society of Targaryens, man. So I just think it's really beautiful. Again, minorities are amazing, even in fucking Westeros. What would the the analog be for the Targaryens or in high society, like a Dothraki has to sit through a three-course dinner and not, like, rape somebody or (laughs) someone? (laughs) Christ. What they do, man? It's a cultural thing, man. Who are you to judge? <laughs> judge him, man. It's a culture. It's important to him. My God. Um, I'm not going to stand by that. I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, please take that back immediately. <laughs> Taking it back. Rewinding time. Well, uh, then this brings us to the second part of the East, which is uh, now we're having the big celebration. Everyone's chilling. Everyone's happy. Except one motherfucker. So Viserys is coming in. He's all mad. And even like is is like I need to get what I'm owed and blah 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 blah. And 
And actually, like, it starts off, like, simple enough where he's just trying to hang out next to Khal Drago, I believe. And then Khal Drago's like, yeah, I got a spot for you over there, motherfucker, points to the furthest part of, like, the... Uh, the Honestly, like, uh, the level of restraint on Khal Drago's part dealing with this fucker up to this point. Like, holy shit, patience of a saint. Right. Uh, well, then that brings us to this point. And again, it's always interesting to think about how much does Khal Drago know. You know what I mean? Like, because he doesn't speak English, but they all sort of have like a baseline understanding of English because you see it, you know. Right. Um, but uh, you know, they just start talking, and then and then he's like, "I'm a king. That's not a fucking seat for a king." And mm. he's like, "You are no king." <laughs> That's like his one English line, I believe. Nails it. <laughs> um, and uh, at that point, like everything kind of all breaks loose, and he tries to fucking threaten Danny. I think he has a blade up to the fucking her belly, and he's just like, "Look, you want the kid? I'll give you the kid. I'll cut the fucking baby out and give it to you." And right. this is where you're right, Cal uh, Drago, <laughs> to not just immediately cut this fucker's head off. You know what I mean? Like just to be like, "All right, motherfucker, you want? All right, that's cool." That's cool. Give me a second. Give me a second. You know what I mean? Like he, he's like he's like a gangster in the forties, man. It's like a Bronx Tale or Goodfellas or some shit. Like it's just like he, he's like I'm gonna let you feel good about yourself for about two seconds before I fuck you up. Actually, fucking kill him. Yeah. Um, and he does so in the most goddamn metal way possible, which brings the title into the goddamn periphery of the story, which is uh, he. <laughs> This fucker, Cal Drago, literally melts down some gold and some silver, all right? And he gets yeah. it all hot and it's all liquid. And you're just like, oh, shit. More importantly, though, more importantly than the action of Cal Drago about to pour some fucking liquid metal onto a human's head is Danny observing this. Jorah's like, look away, Khaleesi. And she's like, fuck you. I, I No, I got this. <laughs> no part of me is, is losing sleep about this. All right. <laughs> But I like it also because it's just like, all right, well, she's kind of already there. Like the senseless violence that she was kind of sheltered from large parts of her life. She's kind of already totally fine with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, can we just say at this point that like uh, Khaleesi Dan Daenerys, she is like very, um, she's on the fast track here. Like she goes from like, you know, sheltered child mm -hmm. to victim of brotherly abuse to the child bride of a barbarian being raped, to falling in love with that barbarian, to becoming very comfortable with the idea of violence, to actively enjoying watching her brother get what he deserves. Right. And that's in six episodes. <laughs> Which again, if they kept this pace of her like uh, moral decay, she would be yeah. like Westeros Hitler, like season three, you know what I mean? They really do put the brakes on it eventually, which is great. I really appreciate that. But um, yeah, man, it's it's a really big scene for her character, and it's done in a way where like the attention is on Cal Drago. It's the actions that he's doing, but it's not about his actions. It's about her reaction to to his actions, which I think is like such a again. I don't know how it is in the book because I haven't read that book in a very long time, but I that's just great fucking writing, man. It's like really solid. So yeah, because isn't Viserys just like uh or Cal Droger or someone's like, you want a crown? You want a crown? He's like, that's all I ever wanted. Yeah. <laughs> he gets all like, ha, ha, ha. like, oh, shit, I'm getting my crown. He kind of reminds me, dude, I know I'm rewatching this right now, but I swear to God, like, think of like, like he almost feels like Reese from Malcolm in the Middle to me. Like if he, like in that scene, no, in that scene specifically, like when he gets what he wants. No, I can see it immediately. I mean, it's like the greatest fucking visual in, uh, in the entire right. world. But again, it's just like, yeah, that dude was not long for this world. He was never going to lead. Even if he somehow got the armor he wanted, 
you think that any army run by Ned Stark, or even without Ned Stark, Rathbone, like a few days in, they'd be like, "Fuck this guy!" <laughs> What's him? They'd revolt. Like, wait, 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 wait. is he paying us? We could just kill him and take his money. Why <laughs> we don't have to put up with him? Kill him and take his money. Um, so yeah, it's really great. I love the sound effect once Cal Drogo has poured the gold over his head and he finally falls over and the gold is already hardened and just goes clank. Oh, so good. Great. Such a good fucking metal. I mean, and quite literally, it's metal. <laughs> and then Daenerys says that great line and I'm paraphrasing, he was no dragon. Right. He well, got that him. was sassy. I mean, who is that serving? <laughs> like, you know. All right, so a couple, a couple, a couple false notes in the back half of the season so far. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on to episode seven, you win or you die. Right, this is a big one. Uh, beyond uh, much like the serial Pharrell of it all, uh, in terms of quotability, this may be the most quoted. In fact, when I think about it now, it's interesting. I I do not remember Cersei saying it. Um, I remember like Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec saying it. I remember like everyone else in pop right. culture who, who, who was Not quoting it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, this is also a really big moment in the series because this is the first appearance of Tywin Lannister, who is like the coolest fucker in the entire universe, in my opinion. Ruthless, but it's my favorite scene of the season. Also my favorite character introduction the show ever did. Because it's right. just perfect in literally every way. It tells you everything you need to know about this character. Like, even if they hadn't been talking about him in hushed tones beforehand. Mm-hmm. It tells you everything you need to know. It tells you the power, or shows you the power that he has over even the snarkiest, bitchiest uh, fucking member of his family, Jamie Lannister, up to this point. Puts him in his place immediately. And does right. it all while butchering, is it a stag or a deer? If it's a stag, that's hella symbolism right there. Yeah, no, it's a stag. Yeah. So, like, while butchering and skinning a stag and not getting any blood on him at all, by the right. way, it's a little detail I noticed. Again, I know, I know I'm making the mistake, and I do this a lot now because I keep referencing other films, but in terms of a perfect introduction, everything tells you what you need to know about the situation. It honestly reminds me a lot of the original Star Wars because you get this little ship and you think it's kind of big and you see it going over the vastness of space and then a much larger and that tells you everything you need to know man that there is like this small rebel thing and this giant conglomerate industrial complex thing after it it's a perfect fucking scene it really is and this is very similar to that if not better because uh while that sets up a, a whole fucking story this is setting up a character and it is so essentially true to who he is immediately. There's no growing pains with Tywin Lannister. Um, and yeah, no, I, I just want to put it up on Front Street. Charles Dance, to me, is the highlight of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely an instigator for the plot for large swaths of it. In the books, he was never as interesting to me as he was in the show. Because if you think about it, his character is not particularly nuanced and we were talking about Braun earlier this is a very clear-cut like no bullshit guy but it's just like the fucking uh, bravado that dance brings to it really uh elevates that character like crazy yeah great great opening scene and he but like just as an actor that guy is always next level and pretty much everything he does i said this is gonna sound weird i saw him in a phantom of the opera movie that they did like in the late 80s or something 
he's amazing in it <laughs> like which is not a good story by the way i don't think the phantom of the opera is a good story but i think that like he kind of brought something to it that is very interesting and like doesn't matter what the role is he will always find a way into it which yeah. i kind of love um, and there is a detail here that i don't think we really explained enough and it's mm -hmm. that amy has joined what's called the king's guard in right. that he hold no lands or titles um, in order to be with his sister and to continue having this affair with his sister. But he's basically relinquished all claim to the Lannister name. And being one of Tywin's two sons, the other being the drunk, whoring dwarf, Tyrion, right. uh, he is Tywin's pretty much last chance to have like a rightful heir and continue on the name. And in this scene, we very firmly establish that the only uh, consideration Tywin has is for that name and legacy to continue. That's all that matters. Right. Like, it's interesting that he is, he's, he's chastising and scolding his son in one part of the conversation about, like, why would you start this war? Well, now that you started, I think this is a perfect time to reevaluate our standing. <laughs> and, right. You know what I mean? And he puts it on Front Street. Like, this is exactly what I want. And he doubles down on it. I mean, doesn't, in that scene, I believe he then gives him half of his army to go to River Run, right? To, like, try to confront yeah. the, the House Tully straight on. And he like, he like puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, you now need to become the man that you were always meant to be. Um, and Jamie just looks completely shell-shocked. Like there's even a part where Jamie tries to talk back and say something snarky and he just like fucking cuts him off. So good. Um, yeah. I don't want to keep talking about just this scene though. Um, so what else happens? Well, I mean, it's a big scene. I think we take as long as we need to. I think this whole second episode just stops here. We really dissect this. Talk about this fucking... <laughs> Dear yeah Richard. um okay well really quickly we cut back to winterfell which i think uh, um her name is asha or osha asha the wildling uh in winterfell yeah. I believe her name. so so all i remember about her in this uh, episode again is the exposition that we kind of touched on last time which is like but she straight up says it like yo we were fleeing white walkers okay uh because they were sleeping for a thousand years but they ain't sleeping no more they're walking around fucking shit up so yeah, they tries to get some sympathy there for sure Cool. This does the double duty also of humanizing the wildlings because up to this point we thought they were just a bunch of barbarians too. And it's like, no, these are fucking people who right. happen to be born on the other side of this big structure. And uh, it's kind of fucked. Yeah. Um, I think this is also the first time, well, it's, again, like it would be because no one even believes that white walkers exist in this world. We've had Tyrion say it's fucking fairy tales. We've had other people say that's not real. Uh, because Ned Stark, on, in the beginning, when he has to behead that first guy who saw the White Walkers, like, that's not real. He's crazy. You know what I mean? Um, but Osha straight up says, like, yo, every, put your fucking squabbles behind. Every kingdom needs to go up north now. Like, we got to confront these fuckers. And she says that in season one, which, again, this is a threat that is so largely removed um, mm -hmm. that we have to periodically be reminded, oh, hey, there's that thing still going yeah. on. You know what I, I mean? The show is periodically reminding you that everything you're getting investing it, invested in does not really matter. Like right. all this shit is petty bullshit. The entire Game of Thrones, as it were, does not matter in the grand scheme here. Right. Um, yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I just, this fucking show is just so epic in scale. And again, like the little breadcrumbs that they're putting in is just amazing to me. Um, we jump over to the wall. Uh, Benjen Stark's horse returns from beyond the wall. But you know who ain't on that fucking horse? Benjen Stark ain't on that horse. Not good. Makes a, makes a, well, at this point, this is kind of the last time we see him. You right. know, it, yeah. it's not good. So John now thinks like he's lost his one tenuous connection 
to right. his family, I guess, uh, and he's all alone. And at the same time, insult to injury, he doesn't become a ranger. He ends up becoming the steward for the Lord Commander, and he's, like, real mad about that shit. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not too happy. He's the best fighter there, and uh, instead he's the fucking, you know, basically the butler <laughs> for the Lord Commander. Right. Um, which he takes poorly, but then fucking, you know, Sam has to kind of talk him into it. Like, you know, yeah, it's not just, maybe you're being groomed for leadership, man. You know, don't, don't get so sad about everything. Motherfucking Hamilton was, was doing correspondence for Washington. All right, man, you got to start somewhere, Jon Snow. He ups to Samuel, man. Like he really talks some sense into him, goes out to convince John to take his vows and everything by the God's wood, um, which is a really nice scene. Um, Yeah. That's pretty all I have to say about that. Like John's, John's getting pissy, but yeah, you know. yeah. No, I mean, I just think it's important again to show that there is this division because I think John's John thinks Alistair Thorne has a lot to do with that decision, mm-hmm. and it's not. Alistair like, gives him a really like bitchy look, like mm, I don't <laughs> like that. A sassy <laughs> bitch. If, if, like that. That's incredible. Um, all right, so in the east, and this is, I think, actually one of the more interesting parts of the entire thing that's happening uh, in this episode because it really is King's Landing in the east. East is usually removed, but there there are like implications in the eastern storyline that are actually kind of happening in King's Landing as well. So right. Danny now with her fucking brother gone is trying to convince Cal to, uh, hey, let's go. We got to go back. We got to go across the fucking sea, man, and reclaim what's rightfully mine. You know, I want the Seven Kingdoms back. Um, and he's not really into it at all. Yeah. He's like, number one, water's poison. Number two, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> not even a second reason. He's like, I don't got it. The water's poison. It's Flint. Like, um, from Cal Drogo's perspective, like he's living his best life. He's being his best self, you know? He's like, never lost. Why would he risk uh, that? Why would he go across the ocean? Um, he doesn't have that annoying brother around anymore. As far as he's concerned, like he's set. And now she's like, we got to be ambitious, stallion that mounts the world. Right. Well, see, that's the whole point. So this all happens within one, <laughs> within like one episode is the fucking problem. Okay. <laughs> because yeah. uh, in the same uh, episode, Danny goes to this like market and she's being, oh, people are being cool. Oh, Khaleesi have this. A wine merchant is, is, is like trying to get her to get some stuff. At the same time, Jorah gets word that he's received a fucking pardon that he's allowed to come back to king's landing his exile is no longer in effect um from Varys. right the only reason that they would do this is because in jorah knows they put the fucking hit the words out you know what i mean um and at this moment he kind of sees that realizes it swoops in friend zone saves his forever friend Mm -hmm. um and i think that catalyst right isn't that literally what happened is because someone tried to go after his wife cal immediately reverses course he's like you know we will go over that man we'll we'll go get that iron throne my son will be the writer who rides the world yeah it's great i mean it's a great scene except that the next episode completely undercuts that (laughs) makes the scene way funnier if anything christian um No, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I feel like we're really skipping something very major that was at the very beginning of this episode after that first scene. And it's a conversation that Ned and Cersei have. I don't oh, I was going there now. Sorry, I was going by location, if that was uh, okay. okay. Yeah, Just yeah, because yeah. sometimes going scene by scene is not the best. Yeah, um, but yeah, so we get a huge fucking scene where Ned confronts Cersei about, hey, like, I know Joffrey, all right? Like, uh, I actually, not only Joffrey, I know all your kids are not your kids. Right. Um, and he says it plain, which uh, Cersei doesn't really like very much, does she? Well, yeah. Who, who would have thought that she wouldn't take that that well, Ned? Um, mm-hmm. 
just get so mad rewatching this shit, just the way he handles that. Because he, he like straight up puts it out there on Front Street. I know that your children are a product of incest. I know that they have no rightful claim to the throne. And I'm going to tell your husband about it. I'm giving you the opportunity to leave the capital now and go far away because Robert's wrath will follow you. Right, which is the first, first of many times that he's done fucked up. Um, but this is the one where he has the power position and chooses to not use it. You know what I mean? Right. That's the real fucking problem with this scene. So, uh, go also ahead. just showing his hand like to the enemy right now and saying, "Oh, you know, I'm helping you." Well, yeah, it's the Bond villain thing. It's like, why would you tell your, you know? I guess Bond villains are trying to blow up the world, so he's just trying to save a nation. Not on that level, but yeah, yeah, I feel you. Um, so yeah, I mean, at this point, like Renly comes back and and he lets them know because again, they went on that hunt in the last episode. It was Renly. It was uh, uh, it was a great comedy scene where uh, Robert Renly and Sir Varys and Selmy are all watching Robert get really drunk and talk about the old days. Right. That's the episode. <laughs> it's this episode, but it's in the live. It's like your mother was a fat whore with a fat ass right or something it was just incredible man. is that about lancel lannister yes. yeah Lancel favorite punching bag for like three straight seasons well again though right isn't this an impressive little detail because you know and again i know we're supposed to pretend like we don't know what happens in later seasons but it's very hard to do that so it's like the idea of he's he's this punching bag character here but how integral he is to so much of the actual uh, plotting yeah. you know what i mean yeah he really is he gets shit done on the sly and nobody gives him the respect that he deserves. Right. He has a stupid hat and that's probably why. That's probably the start of his problems. Right. Well, I mean, he, he's been mortally wounded. Our boy has been mortally wounded. Yeah. Uh, Robert Baratheon has been gored by a boar. Right. And he boar. loves killing boars. He's so good. Uh, he gorges himself on killing boars you know what i mean we're into killing boars it's his favorite thing is banging whores and killing boars it's almost kind of like bran when he climbs shit you know he's been climbing so well for so long why would he just suddenly fall same thing with uh king robert right like th th this is like medieval forensics right here is like this kid <laughs> this all the time I don't think he actually fell on accident. There's no fucking uh, Batman uh, detective <laughs> mode where you're just like, all right, let's, let's take a look at this. analysis or anything here. They can't like fucking, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so, so here's the sad thing. Uh, Mark Addy, who's wonderful, is now uh, on his way out, oh, man. King Robert yeah. is fucking dying before our very eyes, and he's got some business to take care of. So he's like, you know, at Cersei's there, everyone's in the room and he like kicks her out. He's like, I talked to Ned, really pisses her off, but also puts her in a really weird position because as honorable as Ned Stark is, now he's alone with the king. Like, it, did he, is he going to say it? Is he not going to say it? And we, the audience, we get to find out no, but she doesn't fucking know that. So she's, you know, on her own shit for a minute, um, which brings us to the point where King Robert knows that he's going to die, wants to get his fucking affairs in order, decides he's going to dictate his will, right? Mm -hmm. Does the whole thing. He makes Ned the protector of the realm until Joffrey comes of age, uh, all that shit. But instead of using the word Joffrey, our good man decides to put rightful heir. Rightful heir. And that really opens up um, a whole host of possibilities for Right. Ned. Yeah. It's fucked up. I mean, it really is. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, think about it because this is, he's such an honorable person. Number one, he uh, 
did something that's dishonorable to his king, his dying king. It's not like Robert rereads it. He's like, read that back to me. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't. He fucking signs it and then he dies. So it's not a really good thing for him. It's not good at all. But the one like kind of saving grace in this, this, this redemptive arc for Robert anyway is that he kind of agrees with Ned on the Danny thing, which I thought was actually really pretty. He's like, I should never have ordered that. You were, you were right, you know? Which is pretty because it validates Ned Stark in one action, but it also makes his fucking demise that's upcoming extra sad, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm just fucking depressed thinking well, about it. I'm Nine. sorry. I didn't want to depress you. Well, too late. It's too fucking late. But at this point in the show, you're thinking, okay, Ned's got some power moves to make here. And he starts making them, right? Mm-hmm. He gets with Peter Baelish and he's like, hey, uh, get me the loyalty of the, um, what is it, the Kingsguard? Right. Um, so that I can, you know, uh, fight off Cersei and all her bullshit. And Peter's like, uh, what does he even say? I mean, he, I don't even remember. Hold on, because the conversation I remember is with Renly. Because Renly is like, yo, I can get you 100 men like by 2 p.m. with nail polish. You know what I mean? And he fucking decided. Uh, but yeah, no, no, he fucking, he like tries to offer it him and then Ned like refuses to do it. And he's like, listen, I'm all about the rightful heir taking the throne. Okay. I'm all about the secession, but I'm not going to dishonor Robert with bloodshed in his halls. Again, the whole idea of that there's any honor to the secession plan of Baratheon is kind of bullshit to begin with, but it's, it's interesting how this is such an inciting incident for everything else that fucking happens. Right. Right. Cause, cause Ned has, has to make some choices here. He could let Joffrey just take the throne. Um, right. Could wait until Joffrey comes of age as the King wishes, or he can go with the person who like in the line of succession would be Stannis, who we have not met yet. Um, right. Baratheon. Um, and Renly, upon hearing this, is like, Stannis has, like, the personality of, like, a fucking girl. Yeah, there's an amazing line where he's like, do you still believe that good soldiers make good kings? And I was like, fuck, so true. <laughs> Such That's a good so line, hard, man. Like, so hard, man. And yeah, like, no, it's, it's really good. I mean, but then Littlefinger kind of does the opposite, because I remember what he said. Sorry. I mean, he basically suggests, like, well... It's fucked up, but listen, why don't we just like let them take the throne? And if they're bad, we can overthrow them. But you know, we have this card to play at a later date and we can make Renly King, but let's just see what happens. And Ned's like, no, like that's fucking treason. You know? Right. Because this is such a like a black and white issue for Ned. Like he's like, obviously, this kid is not Robert's son. Right. Uh no. Um, well, things progress pretty quickly. Like immediately after he dies, uh, Renly's already taken off because he's like, fuck this. I'm getting out of Dodge. I got the Martells. You know what I mean? And well, because here's the thing, like, do you think Cersei wouldn't try some shit? She would kill every single one of those motherfuckers. Every living Baratheon in her orbit would be a dead man. Yeah. Right. King Robert's not even fucking cold yet before Joffrey's like, we're doing it in a fortnight. Get this coronation going. You know what I mean? Tries to set up, tries to book all the cool talents in Westeros and shit like that. It's going to be a lit coronation. But he does it so quickly. And again, it reeks. It reeks of fucking Cersei being like, we got to, again, let me use a sports analogy, man, really quickly. If there's like a really, uh, like if there's a a debate on whether someone caught the ball or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, they, 
they the other team has to throw a challenge flag and they can challenge the play but you can only do that before the ball is snapped on the next play you know what i mean so right. when that happens if there's a questionable call teams will be like fucking line up line up like we got to snap this fucking ball so they can't challenge it it's the same shit all right joffrey's like we need to get this in writing right. before they can take it away from us. Planner, he's getting shit done Oh my God. It's so fucking good. Um, all right. So uh, this is what happens. Ned is like, Oh, look, King Robert's dead. I got his will right here. gives it to our fucking honorable good man, Barristan Salmi. Uh, he reads Robert's words aloud. And the problem is Cersei Saver fucking refuses to follow those orders, tears yeah. up the goddamn will, and then orders Barristan Salmi to, to seize Ned, which I, he doesn't do. It's like that really amazing thing, right? Well, he, he almost does. And right. then, Stark says, don't harm Barristan Selmy. He's an honorable man just doing his job, basically. Right. He's like, oh, wait, uh, I don't know what to do. Because, like, Barristan is so honorable that he's not going to refuse an order from the queen. Oh, but in this right. moment, we don't know, or Barristan doesn't know, nobody in that room knows whether what Ned's saying is true and holds water or what Cersei is saying is true. Right, because Barristan even pushes back. He's just like, but it's the king's words. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, she does not give a fuck about it. And I think at this exact moment, the city watch is shown up and Ned is like, I don't want it to come to this, Cersei, but listen, these are my dogs. Like I'll fuck you up. And then like not go, does not go to plan. <laughs> Sorry. I'm using a lot of modern parlance here. Right. Cause I can't do Sean. B, fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, it uh, says like arrest them, confine them to quarters. Right. Um, to about again, too them. honorable. Just kill him. Yeah. Just kill him. Ned. Yeah. Because, like, he kills Cersei in that moment, and it's like, he still got the fucking uh, letter, you know? She tore it in two pieces. Right. Well, you know, things did not go according to plan. The City Watch instead turns and kills all of the Stark bannermen who are in, in the fucking uh, the Iron Throne room, whatever the fucking thing is called. And, uh, at, and before Ned can do anything, he goes for the sword. Who do we got? Fucking Littlefinger, knife to the throat. I did warn you not to trust me. And, and he cut to black. All too happy about it, by the way. Right, he's a little. He's smiling a little too hard about it. Like <laughs> solemn duty. He's like fucking grinning from ear to ear. This is like his fucking birthday, second birthday. <laughs> a great time, you know. Second birthday. Well, you have to understand that, like, also Ned Stark to him is a sexual competitor. He's in love with mm-hmm. Catelyn, and Ned Stark is someone he tolerates because he has to. But right. Ned Stark has always kind of been in the way of him getting what he really wants and right. that's what finger is it's a guy who is determined to get what he wants Littlefinger is kind of a punk bitch but i love him like he's, he's amazing but he pulled himself up by his bootstraps let's not forget <laughs> it's the american dream all right you can say what you want about him he's a hard worker he didn't fucking take no for an answer he's incredible yeah he's fucking making plans so um yeah and then the episode ends and then we get uh the pointy end episode eight the pointy end it's a it's a cute title because it references the uh the john aria conversation you know you notice what fight right. sticking with the pointy end you know so it's kind of cute mm-hmm. which comes back in this episode yeah, so you're like, oh it's gonna be a cute episode after all this like ugly gross stuff we're gonna get just a fun episode right we need a like a like a bottle episode <laughs> you know what i mean right. and everything's happy and everything's <laughs> wacky and everything's gonna be okay that ain't this episode man a lot mm. of fucked up things are going on uh, a quick technical note this is the first episode which george martin adapts his own work first time he wrote an episode for the show and it's great really? It's really great. I mean, who would be a better than him? And you look at the episodes that he has written for the show, and I know he hasn't done so in, I think, two seasons now, maybe three. 
but yeah. all those episodes are great, man. I didn't even know that he'd written episodes. I'm going to be really honest. That uh, that guy right by me. So shit. Good oh, really? You didn't know that? That's interesting. He also right. Uh, I'm. I, you know what? Let's not say it. I, we're going to do this as a theme, and we'll go through it. And we get to those episodes. You'll tell me. Well, I guess now you're looking for it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at Wikipedia. Taking notes. Okay, so let's just go by location because now we have really spread out to the point where it it, just, it does not make sense to go uh, scene by scene anymore because there are so many different locations that we're in. Um, mm. So I want to start with Tyrion, if we can, just because uh, Tyrion freshly freed from his uh, trial by combat. He's just hanging out in the in the in the hillside with him and Bronn, right. you know, just doing the Lord's work, and then some uh, hill tribes, some stone crew. Uh, yeah, can, can, can I just say really quick, I love that Tyrion as a character can either be the comic relief or the source <laughs> for all of the drama. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that takes... It's, it's easy. What do they say? It's like drama's easy, comedy's hard. Like, he makes both look fucking easy. You know what I mean? Right. He's incredible. He's having um, a great time. He's just like skipping around the forest with Bronn and then the hill tribes surround him. Again, why do, do you think that like people don't just kill him immediately? Because he finds himself in these situations a lot where like he gets ambushed and people ordinarily would just kill you. They wouldn't talk to you. But right. he's, the fact that he's like a half man, like, oh, yeah. right, let's see what he has to say. <laughs> like, Novelty. <laughs> let's see what he has to say. He makes <laughs> a good point. He hasn't even talked yet. Um, yeah, no, like I, I think that's exactly what it is. He disarms people and then he verbally disarms them and then right. he pays them. Like because the, well again like the the hill tribes these people are kind of portrayed in a way which you would think like oh they're just they're nomadic rovers they're less than they're they're primitive is the word i'm looking for right. but they're not they can be reasoned with and even Tyrion gets through to them and he's like listen if you can escort me to my father's camp all right we're gonna go see tywin lannister yeah like we'll take care of you we'll give you a bunch of gold blah blah blah, blah. He doesn't but, just say i'll give you gold he says i will give you the veil i'll give you the eerie you see nice. everything around you, that's yours. The not his day off. tried to kill me. <laughs> Lannister always pays his debts. He's like, I, I think he's just like flying by the seat of his pants. He's like, I'll figure it out later. Dad'll hate me. He already does. Who cares? I love it. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> my, my favorite image is just Dolph from the Hill Tribes just sitting in the fucking like next to the moon door. And little right. Robin Aaron is just like chained up on the floor and just <laughs> dancing for his amusement. Oh my God. Thank you for that visual. <laughs> Cause I really needed that. Cause that, if anyone deserves that fate, it's him, you know, not Theon, not any of these other fuckers who get a bad ending. All right. Just that piece of shit, that autistic motherfucker. Oh no, he's the wrong kind of autistic. All right. He's successfully making, <laughs> he's the wrong kind of autistic. <laughs> I wanted to see like what's the most offensively stupid thing I could say, and I think we we found it today. I think you found it. Yeah, don't, don't rope me into it. There's no we here. It's right. You. No, we're a team. We're a deal. We're a package deal, Bubby. Where I go, you go. You know, when I die, you'll be buried in my casket like Smithers and Burns. You know what I mean? <laughs> Damn it. But I mean, uh, this also means that if I say something stupid and offensive, like that's on you too. Yeah, that's fine do it i dare you <laughs> like your own oh, preservation i'm man. saving this i'm saving um, this i'm not gonna ned stark this situation i'm gonna put that in my pocket save it for later please don't especially because we're, we're on route to tywin right so let, let's stay with the Tyrion storyline it is later in the episode but we'll do it by location uh, he eventually arrives at tywin's camp and tywin 
again, is not pleased with anything any of his kids ever do, but he's like, I'm going to fucking make lemonade out of the lemons you brought me. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'll give you everything you asked for, but here's the thing. You just got to fight, fight alongside me. Like we could use you. You're great warriors. You're some of the best warriors. And so they agree um, with the yeah. exception that like, oh, that's fine, but bring this little impish motherfucker with us. Right. Um, and Tyrion, and what's fucked up is that Tywin's like, yeah, that sounds fair to me. That's totally fine. Yeah, Go that's reasonable. Like, uh, whatever. Let, let, let God take care of it. Again, like, this guy just does not give a fuck about his kid. Like, specifically this right. one kid. It's just about the legacy of the name Lannister. Right. And if a Lannister dies on the battlefield, like, uh, so be it. Whatever. Yeah, and it doesn't matter that, to him that, fucking at all. Two, two birds, one stone. Right. Um, I think from there, let's go to the Eerie. Are you cool with that? Or do you want to go somewhere else? Let's go to the Eerie, bro. Well, not much happens to the Eerie. That's why I wanted to bring it up very quickly. We just have a moment Mm -hmm. where Catelyn and Liza kind of address, like, you sent this letter. You you know what I mean? Like, uh, they're they're attacking our homelands. Like, Rob's Ned has been taken prisoner. Yeah. Like, we're getting all the exposition of, like, yo, shit has hit the fan. We need need fam to, to unite. We right. need some people. And Liza's like, no, I'm not going to send you any fucking men. All I care about is my little autistic child named Robin. And <laughs> first of all, I just want to say, if, if this world had autism and Liza had said that, it would instantly change her character completely. You're like, right? She's just doing what's like, right by her kid. <laughs> right. I love that we have more sympathy for Cersei than we do for Liza. Liza's just weird and gross. Well, yeah, because as fucked up as Cersei is, she's not fucking breastfeeding her 10-year-old kid. Like, if Joffrey was still breastfeeding... She's just fucking her brother and, you know, committing genocide. Hey, man, some (laughs) things are okay for some people. Some things aren't. (laughs) My line is not incest, apparently. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that's the thing when you talk about, like, trying to weigh, like, who is the worst character, like, morally on Game of Thrones? It's kind of impossible. Yeah, it's not an easy task. You could you could debate it till the to the fucking Dothraki cows come home and shit. But oh let's jump God. to King's Landing quickly because I think it's important about what happens in the north after this, which is right. in King's Landing, now Ned has uh you know, Ned's like imprisoned. Like he's right. detained. It's all dark and fucking wet. By the way, yeah. dungeons are scary as shit. That's a side thought, but like Holy shit. When you hear about stories of like the people who were down there for years and years and years, there's no right. sunlight. They just because there's they, no light at all sometimes. Oh like God. just in pure darkness. Horrific. No sensation but cold, wet stone and barely any water. It is so fucking scary. But here's the thing they know where Ned is, who that would be the biggest wild card in the situation. Like Ned won't involve, again, this is the differences. Even though they're very similar, they're very different. Ned wouldn't involve the kids. Not really. He knew mm-hmm. about Joffrey, he wouldn't act on that action. Cersei now is actively looking like bring me the Stark kids. Like they get right. Sansa, they lock her down. Like, oh, you are a pawn in this fucking game now. Right. But and she, look- she even says like, hey, I, can I see my father? And, she, and Cersei's like, I can't believe that you would want to see a traitor. Right. And Sansa's like, I'm 13. Again, yeah, I, that was the point. Thank you for yeah. saying it, which is that she's a child and this is the queen, the most right. important person alive at the moment because Joffrey's yeah. not yet king. All right. Yeah. From um, that scene onward, she is a prisoner of the Lannisters. Even right. Though she's not in chains. And it's, it's almost she's worse. starting to realize it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's almost much, much worse. But um, so she's already kind of fucked from the beginning. Arya is having one of her like sword fighting dance lessons with Serio Pharrell. Yeah. And then like, what's what's the big dude, the fucking asshole who 
know what I'm talking about? No, no, no. Like the at, like the, the, where later on he goes to uh, Bravos or whatever, and Arya sees him. But he's the one who fights Sirio Pharrell in that moment. Right. What is that nerd's name? Sir Fuckface. I fucking hate this guy so much, man. And oh it's yeah, not, he's just, he's the worst, dude. It's not just because he rolls in because we know all the other information we know about him later on. It's just the fact that like he comes in and immediately something's not right with the situation, and only Sirio Pharrell is kind of able to do anything about it i don't think they would have killed aria let me just make that perfectly clear but right. she too would have been a prisoner of the lannisters and like she that would have been, been a bargaining chip yeah yeah absolutely and that like again there was no guarantee they would ever have gotten her you know what i mean back like they could have just kept her kept her slit her throat one day so it's a very important moment where Sirio pharrell is just like what do we say to the to the god of death right mm, not, today. not now not now <laughs> It's quite literally today, Sirio. I'm sorry to tell you. Like it, 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 it's a yeah. good scene because you see that he's so technically proficient and he's literally fighting people off with a wooden sword and it's a right. thing. And, and it's like he knows he's going to die. Right. Why do you think we as an audience held out such a uh, held the flame for Sirio for so long? In my notes here, I literally just wrote, Sirio, we hardly knew ye because we well, yeah. did. We wanted yeah. more of him. <laughs> but but think about what we did know. Like he he presents or like represents like this kind of mystical old world side of Game of Thrones. And I don't know how technically you want me to get with like the Doom of Valyria and all that. Yeah, yeah let's take a detour for a second. Later. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, so like Valyria was, you hear this brought up a lot in the show and it is never really explained. It's barely explained in the books, but it's basically akin to the fall of Rome and ancient Egypt combined. Like oh, this was the center of all civilization. This is where the Targaryens come from, where all dragons come from, where Valyrian steel comes from. And one day there was this cataclysmic event that wiped out the entire continent in one fell swoop. Jesus. Nobody knows quite what happened. Okay. But even, even now the sky is red above Valyria and there's nothing that lives there. And men are afraid to even see the shore. They say, if you see the We've shore, gone- you're a dead man. We've gone to Valyria, uh, Valyria later in seasons, right? We've gone like the river that are adjacent to it or something the like that. Stone men, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've seen parts of it, but it's basically like it's like the lost city of Atlantis, and it's something where like all of the technology, all of the advancements, all the history were lost. The only thing that lives from it is pieces of Valyrian steel, which people don't know how to make anymore. It's basically Damascus steel historically, and uh, the Targaryen uh, family. So when you hear them talking in Valyrian, whatever. Um, but the whole point of that, like Valor Margulis, um, the city of Bravos, uh, city of Marine, all of that extends from this idea of uh, Valyria. So like Sirio Pharrell, long story short, is kind of our first gateway to that idea that there, there are other places other than Westeros. And I know we're seeing Daenerys and everything, but this is like the first suggestion of civilization. Right. Away from well, like a great Westeros. civilization because everything yeah. that we've seen so far has been nomadic kind of tribes. It's either been uh, north of the wall or far east and into the deserts and stuff like that. This right. is the idea that like there was great and the same. I, I honestly kind of liken it to like uh, the idea of Persia. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the Baghdad in the Middle Ages where it was this incredible beacon of science and progress and shit like right. that. Um, so just, you know, great nations from uh, that are foreign to the, the white European perspective, kind of, right. you know, if we're using a historical analog. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's, a, it's a really great detail. He's, he serves that purpose. You're absolutely right. Like he, he has a purpose. And again, for only being in the first eight episodes and not even, I think he shows up in the third episode, by the way, or fourth episode. Right. He's kind of a fan favorite. Everyone loves the guy, man. Yeah, he's, he's like 
continues to be kind of like a, a hard ass, but also like flamboyant and wonderful and like just a great counterpoint to Arya's sort of tomboyish whatever. Like right. it, starts, it starts to sort of hone her character and you start to see the person that she could be um, if she like continues to follow what her passion is. And then that's robbed of her when Sirio is, is killed. Right. Um, but just like you could see her like continuing just training with this guy and like becoming, you know, a worldly person and traveling and, you know, being a normal kid. And this is the last time you ever really see her being a normal kid. So like with the death of him, you start to see the death of her innocence too. Well, and again, they give you an actual physical like act to kind of see that through because she does make it out of that and you hear the clinks and the clanks. You don't ever right. see what happens to Sierra Pharrell, but let's be honest, he did. Mm -hmm. um, she tries to escape and I think it's just like a stable boy sees her and tries to stop her. And like, he's like, oh, this yeah. is a quick way to, you know, get good with the queen, blah, 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 blah. And the pointy end, man, she fucking, yeah. this is her first she kill. She him with the pointy end. Yeah. And he's like, oh, he's a little kid. She kills a little kid. Yeah, what makes her better than the hound? The hound yeah, killed this the is like a boy. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but the hound made her lists. Right. Wow. Is she going to make her own list? Wait, like, is she going to have a list made with her included is what you're saying? Yeah, that's what okay. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for clarifying. He's already like, that was confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's a big deal. And again, it kind of like sets her up in that whole fucking, you know, uh, down this dark path that mm -hmm. we kind of see for her. It's weird now, and, and Maisie Williams is a pretty decent actress, and you know, we all hate kid acting, but she's kind yeah. of done some amazing stuff. Even in season two, it's not like it's this thing that uh, that it took her four or five years to get good. The Tywin stuff in her is amazing. I think she's yeah. wonderful in it. And she's already got like a thousand year at stare at that point, which is right. really rare for most actors. Yeah. So Arya's out in the wind in this point. Uh, Sansa is, 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 is detained by Cersei and being used as a fucking prop. She's like mm -hmm. trying to get Sansa to send ravens up north to get her brothers to come march to, to King's Landing and swear fealty. Right. Right. Because her brother is uh, amassing an army to go fucking like calling the bannerman like ready right. to fucking yeah get which his is dad back. which the, when we jump to the north that's a really great scene kind of because he mm -hmm. he, he is not ready but no. he is doing what he thinks again the honor thing man it's fucked up mm -hmm. it's like yeah. this, this shit only serves to get you killed this is like marcellus wallace being like pride only hurts it never helps you know what i mean like this is the this is the recurring fucking theme and it's just it's killing me because yeah. we know what happens so you're just watching every uh like misstep and every fucking pitfall that bef that befalls these people yeah yeah it's uh it's really sad to see it because it's like a slow motion car crash watching these people make these decisions now right having known where they go and i know i keep saying that but it's true well we'll get there all right i'm sorry it's just very hard to talk about the past of this show without talking about every oh, yeah. other thing that happens but uh it's pretty impossible so the other part of this is like we're also just trying to get ned stark to admit that he had committed treason you know um right. that was kind of like the big uh fucking moment here um and it wasn't really taking uh sansa tries to plead actually before we get to the sansa pleading thing let's get to the fact that now joffrey is like i run shit let's uh mm -hmm. make some official decrees all right barris and sell me you're my boy you're out all right i'll give you some <laughs> lands i'll give you a title but right. you're out and barris and sell me is just like too honorable of a fucking guy he's like i have served fucking loyally and mm -hmm. like 
dude, there's just the most badass scene ever. He pulls out that sword for half a second and all the rest of the Kings uh, just like, watch pulls out their fucking yeah. swords or whatever. And he's like, even now, how easily I could slice through every single one of you. And I'm like, I believe it. Right? Like, he would kill so all of good. you fucking people. Man. Doesn't he like tear off all of his armor? Yeah, and it throws yeah. it at Joffrey's feet, man. Yeah, and like to be clear, to be a member of the King's Guard, like this is a position. This is like the fucking Supreme Court. You yeah, have you're appointed for, for life. life. Yeah. yeah. So for Joffrey to say, "Hey, you're retired now," like that's a huge slap in the face to someone who has fought to earn this position. Like right. this is important to him. This is his whole life, and he's saying, "No, nah, no, nah, go away. I don't want. I don't want the likes of you in my court." Right. It's it's interesting, and it puts again one of the last honorable characters in the wind. You know, mm-hmm. which is it's, 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 there's no one probably now that Ned Stark is in his situation who could right. be considered as honorable as Barristan Selmy. And now right. that person That's- who, well, he would have been loyal to Joffrey no matter what by virtue of his position and and virtue of his honor and respect for the the institutions, the kingdom, the crown. Right. Um, but now they have let this ally go to the other side, which is, yeah. uh, I think, the most interesting. There, he's a free agent. He hasn't mm-hmm. signed with anyone yet, but he kind of walks out. And at this moment, as he walks out, there's a whole commotion. There's a beat, and Sansa's like, you know, while we're just chilling here, uh, can I plead for Ned Stark's life? Because, uh, you know, he he was he had milk of the poppy. He didn't know what he was doing. Like, you know, really tries to like kill his credibility. Admits essentially for the Starks, she's like a mouthpiece for the family. But like, yeah, he committed treason. But yeah, but he was blazed. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Wait, you said he was blazed? Oh well, that that explains everything. <laughs> Let's just go home, guys. <laughs> like Joffrey's up there just fucking smoking a blunt. It's like, oh shit. They really yeah, should have figured there. that out, man. Got like fucking goddamn ganja diplomacy in Westeros would have just saved so many lives. If we'd had been in the continent of Westeros, this whole show would not have happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> not because the, the, the bad feelings weren't there, but just like, come on, they got to get off yeah. the couch. Fuck that. Right. Like, Let's go watch some jousting. <laughs> it would be lit as if like we could watch some jousting. It's like we're watching that right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying um, there's a better version of this show out there. <laughs> it includes <laughs> the Cheech and Chong of the game. Yeah, the Cheech and Chong version. Um, I'm, I'm here for it, man. Uh, we do want to also mention that Joffrey later appoints Tywin as the Hand of the King. Of course, that was my next statement, yes. Which so is a very, very done. important. Um, well, and and like, what does it do? In effect, it makes Tywin the most important. He's, he's the king. Right. Yeah, he's, he's the Dick Cheney here. Like yeah. he, he is the power behind the throne um, because Joffrey is way too easily manipulated and controlled and emotional. And Tywin knows just how to play fucking everybody in this orbit. It's nuts. Um, what else do we want to say here? Is there anything else with Joffrey? Um, Joffrey agrees that if Ned publicly like recognizes him and like swears fealty, he'll, he'll like, he'll spare his mercy. life. It was yeah. Brandon a traitor, but he won't kill him. And that's him showing kindness to his bride-to-be. Um, right. Which, again, in the next episode, there's just a scene where him where I'm like, oh, this is such a shitty, like, anti-women, <laughs> like, scene. I don't think it's, like, a mouthpiece or anything. I just think it's, yeah. like, it's, like, such a, like, he agreed to do something and then immediately said he's not going to do it. And it's because you're fucked up, not him. Which is right. what I think is the most funny part about it. But, yeah, man. So, here we go. I mean, episode eight kind of big shit happened you know it yeah. was weird because it was also a like quiet it was a lot of people preparing to do yeah. stuff 
It's a quiet um, episode, but I absolutely appreciate it and like it a lot. Oh, yeah. one thing we did leave out, and I think we oh. should talk about it in Winterfell, is like, yeah, he's been getting all the banister or banner men ready and shit like that. But he goes south to ride to House Tully to the river to River Run, and he leaves Theon in charge of Winterfell, which right. is kind of a big deal. Which one Great. is really nice, you yeah. know? Yeah, they give him the opportunity. They give him one shot. He's the fucking Rudy of this goddamn house. This is and- probably the high point of Theon's life, by the way. Like, at least as far as we know. Right. Ugh. I don't know, man. It's fucked up. This whole world's fucked up. And we're going into the most fucked up episode of the whole Where, first... where are we talking about this show? Let's just call it quits. All Let's right. just leave it here. Well- Everybody, all the Starks are alive. It's great. Everybody's happy. No. Um, we got to talk about Baylor. Uh, this is the episode that if you weren't sold on the show yet, right. you didn't know what kind of show this was. This ab- absolutely, in very clear terms, tells you what kind of show this is. And absolutely, in clear terms, tells you whether or not it's a show for you. Right. Um, this is like the episode. And I don't want to get to the big thing yet, because that's like the big thing. Well, good. Let's not do that, because I want to talk about the Lannisters for a minute. I want to go sure. back to the camp. Pre, pre-fight, we get mm-hmm. this night before scene. And this is actually the first introduction of Shay, who will become very, uh, you know, powerful right. i guess uh, important person to Tyrion. um Jeez. and we have this fucking scene which look originally it's just played as like this comedy scene oh he might die so he's gonna get laid or whatever right. but then he tells this fucking story and honestly like aside from all the huge holy shit moments that happen in this episode this is the crux of the whole episode for me he tells a story about when he was 16 that he he married someone he had had a previous wife or something like that and uh, he made him feel so good. And he loved her so much, like true fucking love. And it was beautiful. Right. And then uh, it turns out that the Tywin just hired her. Or was it Jamie who did it? Jamie hired her. Yeah. Jamie did it? That's even more fucked up, man. <laughs> like, Because right. here's the thing. It's like, because, because that actually makes sense. For some reason, I thought it was Tywin. But it's, it makes way more sense that it's Jamie. Because Tywin wouldn't have even put in the minimal effort. Like, to make and again, his son it happy? Well, yeah. it ends up embarrassing him. That's one reason that Tyrion would, do, or that Tywin would do it. So, like, when the facade right. fucking crumbles, he's crushed. That's his thing. Jamie did it because he loves his brother, and I think he really wanted his brother to feel right. happy for a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just because he's like the laughing stock. Everybody, like, we need to make clear that Jamie is like the one member of that family who loves his brother, and it's the most redeeming thing about Jamie in this first season to me. Um, because even when he's fighting Ned Stark, he's fighting him in that episode, fifth right. episode. Because the Starks are holding Tyrion captive. Like, he's not being an asshole, like, who's trying to fucking consolidate power. Like, this guy has his brother. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, Tyrion tells this story, and then... Um, what happens after that? He he, uh, Tywin finds out, right? Well, Tywin finds out, and then this is this is the the Tywin fuck you. He then like makes Tyrion watch as every Lannister guard soldier, yeah, just gets at it, and mm-hmm. uh, not a lot of love there, dude. Again, it's just like the the most fucked up thing. There's these little bylines of stories, right? Because even like the way uh, Tyrion fits within his family is something that is explored pretty much throughout the entire series. It's not like it just Mm -hmm. stops. And these are the things that break my heart the fucking most, man. That and the Viper monologue that he gives in season four or season five, it's just like, these are the moments where you're like, dude, how did you end up like at all normal like how are you a right. functioning person because you 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 are the rose that uh, that grew through concrete man like you were yeah. amazing despite every reason to not be amazing right 
Oh. Just the amount of shit that he's gone through would have broken most people a thousand times over. Right. Um, and never but he does. Keeps, yeah. He keeps picking himself back up. It's um, kind of amazing. It's a great fucking scene, and it's short-lived, to be honest, because then uh, we, we, we kind of cut to uh, him waking up. Ron's like, motherfucking Starks are coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, gets him going <laughs> really quickly. He's just, like, throwing on armor, trying to put shit on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he runs out kind of triumphantly. He's just like, we're going to – doesn't he give, like, a rah-rah speech for a second? Or is there not even time, right? They're just all running yeah, already. Yeah, there's not really a lot of time, yeah. Sorry, I'm mixing up my rah-rah speeches with Tyrion because he gives a couple, <laughs> like, at various mm-hmm. times. Oh, it's the uh, Blackwater episode. He, like, gives a fucking speech. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so this is the thing. He just runs, and you're like, all right, he's I guess running, he's doing this. Running into battle. And by the way, this is an invention of this show, and I do want to talk about this. This is a big difference between the show and the book. Uh, this big battle that happens is between the Lannister army and Rob Stark's army. They think they're meeting Rob Stark's full army on the battlefield. Right. What we find out is uh, the not so much Rob Stark played a little trick. But what happens is Tyrion gets fucking knocked out like page one of this battle <laughs> and wakes up later. This was due to budgetary constraints. Oh, was yeah. it? Okay. So, like, th- this battle is, like, talked about in full in the books. Um, but this is, like, a-, a clever invention of the fucking show. I actually kind of like it more, almost. Oh, I, um, I see. Again, I totally didn't... Oh, that's so yeah. much better. I mean, I'm sure the battle was awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm just right. saying that, like, it fits that character so well. And it keeps it within the idea that each chapter, so to speak, each scene is specifically through someone's POV. Right. Which I really dig. Um, yeah, and uh, we should mention that Jamie gets captured in the ensuing battle. Um, right, which this uh, is kind of a big deal uh, in terms of, again, now it's like, well, we got one of yours, motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're, right. we're tallying up the collateral uh, pieces that we can use at, at a later time. And this is also the first uh, um, sign that we get that Rob Stark is like this brilliant um, tactician. Like, he's right. this like formidable opponent. Uh, someone well, that Tywin did not see coming. Right. I think we fucked this up because there was a scene in the last episode where he does deliberately try to, uh, to, to like trick him, right? Like to trick. Oh, no, it, it is this episode. I'm fucking this up. But yeah, he goes and he talks to Jamie and he kind of like leaves him with the impression that he is going to send all of his men to a location and sort of tricks them. This is kind of right. like how he the start sends up being He part. sacrifices like 2,000 men to right. ambush them on like in another place and right. captures Jamie. Yeah. It's pretty fucking baller, man. And again, yeah. we, we, we never saw Ned Stark as the general, as the tactician. You know what I mean? Right. No, he's just a soldier. Well, what I'm saying is like, so this is like, this is something Rob has inherent to himself. It's not even necessarily, oh, he was Rob Stark. Of course, he's a great uh, you know, tactician. Right. This is yeah. just something he genuinely is good at, which kind of yeah. uh, sets him aside yeah. from his father. And it's a sacrifice of the show that we don't spend a lot of time with Rob Stark up until this point. Um, right. He becomes a more fully realized character in season two, but you don't really know Rob Stark. He's like the other guy that kind of looks like Jon Snow right. up until now. Yeah. But very important. Um, very important. And this brings us to the twins, right? Which is, uh, isn't it's like the, uh, the weird fortified bridge or whatever, right? right? It's, a, uh, it's a fucking place. So anyway, he goes over there. They, Catelyn goes over there and she has to kind of negotiate on behalf of Rob because who's the guy from House Tully? Like ho- Hoster? Hoster? You know, talking about? Yeah. Is that his name? Hoster Tully? Mm-hmm. Um, Hoster Tully is like, well, I didn't say I wouldn't, I wouldn't let anyone cross and blah, blah, blah. Being like really political because again, anytime anything is happening in the world, people are first thinking about how they can enrich their situations. In life. Well, it, it, the twins run by Lord Walter Frey. 
Right. Am I fucking this up? Okay. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. So, so like to be clear, the twins, this is a critical point strategically um, because it's basically a castle that is like situated over a bridge and that bridge is the only bridge to cross this great river right. um, that they would need to get to the south from the north to the south. So they have to deal with this odious piece of shit named <laughs> Walder Frey <laughs> right. who right. owns this fucking uh, bridge castle um, and Catelyn is trying to convince him to let them pass. And he's like, why would I betray the Lannisters or whatever? Being a piece of shit. She's like, well, uh, maybe uh, we can come to an agreement. Is that how she... <laughs> well, they do They they, they they do have some bargaining and they kind of All land right. on like, I'll let you, fine, but here's the thing. Yeah. I need I need Arya to marry someone and I need yeah. uh, I need Rob to marry someone and we yeah. become the new dynasty and shit like that. I love that Walter Frey is just played for laughs for most of the times we see him. Um, I mean, because yeah. he's like, I got, I got like 50 daughters. I'm going to take one. It's fucked up. I mean, but the thing is like that again, it's, it's very disarming. So you don't take him seriously until we get to like later events and you just realize right. how horrific this goddamn yeah, person this is, is such an important scene. Um, but basically Catelyn is agreeing in exchange for them crossing this river and having safe passage that her son, Rob is going to marry one of Walter Frey's daughters. Right. It's going to be like this big deal. Uh, well, this is an important scene in as much that like when Rob finds out, by the way, he's like, what? It's like, this is what you got to do. This is like, this is how the game is played. Do you realize that me and Ned didn't like love each other before we got together? Like, right. I think she even says that when she's trying to explain like what, what we had something deeper. You like have to work harder for it. It's something more. Right. Unique and more it's like a, it's like a fire that grows from the embers or something. Right. Metaphor <laughs> some, like that. Yeah. Fucking poetic bullshit. <laughs> God bullshit. damn it. Martin's written by a writer or something. <laughs> damn it. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, what happens now? So, uh, we can jump uh, to the wall really quick if you want to, just because we yeah, get Yeah, let's, let's jump to the wall. What's going on at the wall, Christian? Uh, fucking Mormont. Mormont's like, hey, I'm going to give you this fucking sword that matters. <laughs> no, but this is like, literally, we're talking about Valyrian steel. So you mentioned Serial Pharrell uh, in terms of like, uh, how it exposes this bigger world or whatever. Right. Valyrian steel has been mentioned multiple times. We, we know that it's exotic, but we also know that it's like incredibly well made that yeah. it's very high standard it, it never it. loses its edge and the art of making it and crafting it has been lost forever nobody right. knows how to do it ever so like the swords that are left that are valyrian steel that's all there is right it's a pretty big deal um is this the same episode or do we just suck at doing this this time but where <laughs> oh no it is we we did fucked up because in the last episode benjen's horse comes back right mm-hmm and uh, isn't this where uh, in later in that episode no it is this episode i guess i'm fucking this up sorry in this episode the two people come back that are dead like dead rangers were found beyond the wall and uh they were brought inside and sam's like well they're not like decaying or anything where they've been dead for weeks and we know those are the people that benjen left with so now we're just like uh benjen's fucking gone you know what i mean right uh and i think later in that day that's when uh, Ghost is like freaking out. There's like some weird behavior and like, what's mm-hmm. wrong, Ghost? We got undead. We got zombies, man. We got fucking undead rangers coming right. out here and shit. Yeah. So this ranger comes back to life and attacks uh, Gior Mormont, um, right. Lord Commander Mormont, and uh, doesn't die when John stabs him, but does when he lights him on fire. Um, right. So he saved the Lord Commander's life. Right, and a lot's going on with John in this episode because that's the reason that he saves the Lord Commander's uh, life. That's why he gets uh, Longclaw to begin with, which, by the way, a, 
originally for his son, but couldn't give it to him because right. of the exile, which is so hard. <laughs> because of the exile of it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that whole thing that happened. <laughs> um, but no, no, I think, I think it's like a, it's a really interesting scene because of that reason. It's also interesting because John is made aware of all like the bullshit that's going on in the South and how he, again, I know he went to the Night's Watch, but he loves the Starks. He feels like he should be right. in the South. He should be assisting them. And uh, I think he even tries to run off at some point in, in this episode. And is, and is uh, not so much stopped as talked out of it by um, a character named Maester Eamon, who we've not talked about. Um, right. He's a guy that he's like the resident maester at the wall. And a maester, for those who don't know, is like a keeper of... He, they're like the doctors and the scholars and the scientists all rolled into one. They're the people who know how to fucking read and write right. and study. Um, so this guy basically reveals that he is a Targaryen. Um, right. And why is this a, important? Because when his family was getting literally fucking overthrown, he yeah. stayed at the wall and he was right. trying to implore to him like, yo, this, this, this vow that you've made supersedes everything yeah. else. You know and it's I mean? a lovely scene. He's like, you could do what you want to do, but you must do what is necessary. Mm-hmm. or something i don't know what well he says. i mean i think he just tries to say like hey if you want to go you can go but you have to be yeah. prepared for the consequences of that action for the rest of your life like this is exactly. not something that you get to do you get a do-over you know what i mean yeah yeah, Which John, I think yeah. and then john's kind of like oh. yeah like he he definitely internalizes that for sure um and just a really nice scene i just really like how how well written that is it's sweet he's a character who was there for a while and he was just grandfatherly and then they gave him yeah. such an important role i mean again it, that was always his role from the beginning but you know what i'm saying it's just the way that right. it's, it's revealed to us it's in a moment where the character needs this and coming yeah. from anyone else it would be disingenuous and it wouldn't be believed and it's, it does reinforce like the sense of duty and sadness um with all of the major good characters at the wall too mm-hmm. because all of them are you know they've lost shit and they have these tragic backstories and everything right. but they're there due to a sense of duty or higher purpose this isn't just duty or honor for duty's sake like they're there for a reason and yeah. like they're honor bound just by their word and there's something uh, kind of nice about that you know jumping from king's landing where it's all duplicitous uh back and forth uh, political maneuvering to the wall where it's like no it's cut and dry you stay right. here yeah, your watch isn't over until you die. Yeah. Bada no, bing, bada boom. Well, again, it's just like, again, in a world that has lost all of its honor, these people who are kind of derided and called less than are actually the most honorable people still fucking around. Right. And it doesn't matter how they got there, which a lot of them were crooks or mm-hmm. uh, not in a major way, but like still crooks, you know what I mean? Sent there. Or, right. You know, it's, it's still just a really beautiful thing. It's like a system that is above all of that. Like yeah. you came as this, you, you, you left as... Yeah something more and 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 that's more or less paraphrasing of like what the uh uh, brothers say when john takes his vows with sam and he stands Mm -hmm. up and he's like good boy like or like he says like you you came here as boys and you now rise as men of the night's watch and they like hug and like all clap each other's backs and everything it's like a really nice moment well, let's um, bring this, let's, if we can, let's just, cause I want to, I kind of want to keep it going yeah, in, the, in the interest of time here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's jump to the East very quickly and then we'll circle back to King's Landing. Cause there's no other way that we can kind of end this, uh, in the East. And we did a bad job of doing this when, when, uh, Cal Drago's giving his big, like, I will fucking rah, rah, we'll kill every motherfucker speech that he gives. <laughs> Uh, he kind of gets challenged for a moment by that one guy who's just kind of been in the episode. Right. Um, and he receives just this very small cut very small mm-hmm. um 
and again, especially on this huge Dothraki fucking guy who's never been defeated, never had to right. cut his braid in shame or anything like that. Doesn't fucking matter. He's gonna right. Well, because not and not just that. Like the guy is holding this blade to him, and Caldrogo actively makes the wound worse just to show him, "Fuck you." Yeah. Well, who gets the last laugh here? I guess it's still Caldrogo. <laughs> Because he's the last one alive of the two. But still, like if ghosts are real, that guy is right. like laughing his ghost ass off, man. So he is now starting to have an infection, or he has an infection. He's getting like delirious. He's like fucked up. This is not right. estrogen, as they say in the old west. And beyond that, he falls from his saddle, which apparently is like the biggest no-no of yeah. Dothraki. If, if, if you, you can't your- ride, then you're not a, a cow. You're Absolutely. not fit to lead. Yeah. So this is actually not good because without a strong leadership, things kind of go into chaos. So a lot of the Dothraki will fight amongst themselves until one is kind of ruled right. the, the new cow. power vacuum. And now Khaleesi's position is, you know, right. not really a position anymore. Yeah, Jorah's like, we might should leave because it yeah. ain't going to be good. Um, and she's like, no, we'll figure something out. You know, hey, oh, there's a fucking witch here. Let's do some blood. When has blood magic ever been a bad idea? So she implores this woman who is a who's a woman. You know what this is? This is uh, they had just raided that village. It was like a peaceful yeah. village that got raided. So one, Danny was confronted with the brutality of these fucking people firsthand. Right. Um, and then number two, the 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 witch or whatever <laughs> who who ends up doing all this blood magic in, in an attempt to save Cal Drogo. Uh, this was not going to help this guy. Like I, there's right. that scene where it's really interesting. It's like, yeah, before you helped me, like yeah. I had been helped to many times, you know what I mean? Right. Like my family, my house, I was raped. Like everything was taken away from me. You think I'm just going to forgive that? Fuck that. Right. You know what I mean? And then you, and then you swoop in and save me after that. Yeah. Right. Like, like she owes Danny something. Well, and so she kind of goes in with the pretenses that she's going to save him, and she doesn't. She puts some weird fucking crazy blood magic shit, and Danny needs to be out of the tent because only... Well, no, actually, Danny's fine as long as she stays in the tent. It's the crossing of the threshold, right? Like, she wasn't supposed to leave where Cal Drogo was, and when she did, she heard, like, that fucking wailing black magic horse sound or whatever, and then shit went really bad. So there's this really great part where... uh, well, is it in this episode or not? I guess it isn't. I guess it isn't. So no, this is just the introduction of the blood magic witch in the first place. We don't know how it pans out quite yet. Well, Daenerys goes into labor in this right. episode. And, That's why um, she has to be taken out of the tent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Jor- Jorah like, brings her out or helps her or something like that, right? Right. And I think that's where we leave old, old funny Daenerys and right. her wacky side adventures. <sighs> All right, well, I didn't want to do this. It's gone all topsy-turvy. Yeah, well. King's Landing. We're back in King's Landing, and we saved this because of the dramatic effect. I also want to point out that in terms of whatever this show was up until this point, and it was certainly well-reviewed, it wasn't a legendary show. It hadn't cemented any reason. And by the way, most shows don't in their first season. It's unfair to think Game of Thrones should have. However, they do. I think this ninth episode, they absolutely kind of nail it because this is the moment where this goes from being a TV show to a pop culture sensation. A a cultural phenomenon, yeah. Um, Yeah, this is the moment where critics took notice and started saying, you know what, Like, we need to start like thinking about this more seriously. Because right. I think up to this point, uh, nobody really knew what this was yet. I, I think that up to a point, like you could put it, lump it in with like Spartacus and like Rome or whatever other fucking right. period piece shows were going on at the time. Um, this is doing things and making moves that you would not expect. 
And uh, the moves are, are basically this. We, we get uh, to Ned's uh, uh, execution. Basically. His reckoning, man. And, it, yeah. and, they, and they play it so fucking heartbreaking because when we start, Varys is just visiting him. And he's really just trying to be like, listen, man, I, I get it, but you're in danger. Like, you're, you're in a bad situation. And here's the thing. If you just admit, and I know it's not real, but if you just admit that you committed treason, they'll spare you. They'll send you to the wall. You'll live out the rest of your days in exile, but you'll be alive. And you'll know that your kids are alive and shit like that, right? Right. Um, and he refuses because, again, he's super honorable. But then Varys is like, it ain't just about you. Like, they have Sansa. Like, her right. life is also here on the line. And so he, he fucking, you know, reluctantly kind of agrees to it. At this point, I think we cut to this, like, busy kind of public square. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, Ned's being paraded through the crowd and he's going to stand you know yeah, not trial but you know what i yeah. mean like he's gonna have to face the public basically right the sept of balor which is basically this this great big church area um this area of high importance and whatever um but like you know, to set the scene here ned is uh, being put on trial uh, sansa is there on the stage with him watching and aria starts to make her way through the crowd as well. She's been flying under the radar. Everybody's trying to find her. And yep. uh, she's just working her way through the crowd like a, like a common girl um, to see what's going to happen to her dad. Right. Um, and Ned spots her as he's being like pushed through. He's, yeah. he, he reaches out to, I think his name's Yorin or whatever, but he's just like, uh, hey, <laughs> like yeah. does it in a way that's subtle enough that the other mm -hmm. people there are like, oh, like, shit, it's her. <laughs> like yo yorin go get my girl aria i mean that girl i've never seen before oh jeez i'm dehydrated like i don't know what i'm saying that sounded like go get aria aria stark you're like, Wait, what <laughs> you know that new sound you've been looking for so and then gets you know. his head cut off <laughs> Well, before we get to that, again, this is the whole point. So we've seen this a billion times. We are classically conditioned to see cyclical patterns and storytelling. And what we know is uh, you can use any fucking example of this. You can use like Indiana Jones. You can use like Zorro. You can use literally mm -hmm. anything. But we have these situations, these certain death situations for a protagonist, and they get an 11th hour reprieve. All right. If the governor right. calls or, or you know, yeah. pirate, pirate comes or like, I don't know, anything. But they always get away. This is something we're conditioned with and when we're watching this episode i know i certainly i was i'm watching the episode with the safety net of like it doesn't matter how dramatic this is gonna get we right. know that yeah, they're, they're not gonna kill sean way. bean right which that should have been the biggest clue but <laughs> sean bean goes up there and he, ned stark does exactly what he's told to do like he swears fealty he admits that he committed treason he right. begs for his life even though he's too honorable to do that he fucking does it and uh, Cersei, to her credit, the one mm -hmm. time I'll give her credit, seems genuinely satisfied. She has vanquished Usually. Ned Stark. She's beat him without right. bloodshed and without any conspiracy being fucking told to the people she won. Right. And, and to be clear, and this is something that hasn't been made clear in the show yet, but the dynamic here is that Cersei is doing a lot of what she does to appease her father who never took her seriously because she's a woman. And now she's successfully executed this master plan um, in very quick order without uh, spilling too much important blood anyway. Blood got spilled, but it wasn't anybody who owns lands and titles. Right. So like now she's like, okay, she's feeling pretty good about herself. 
but this is what happens when you have a fucking incestuous child <laughs> is, is, is they don't, their brain isn't operating on the same level as you or I, you know what I mean? Like that's the fucking problem because like she, again, she is one. The only right. thing that can fuck this situation up now <laughs> mm-hmm. is if anything bad happens to Ned Stark, like that's the whole, <laughs> anything else can happen. It'll be fine. Just don't right. fucking kill Ned Stark. Yeah. And, 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 and I was fun. like halfway convinced that, okay, like uh, Ned's going to go to the wall and that's what this show is going to be. Now he's going to meet up with John and they're going to go on adventures and they're going to take the throne back in a few seasons or something. Right. You know, I she, thought that's where it was right. going. But no, what we get is, again, this is the scene I was referring to earlier where Joffrey's like, uh, my, my bride-to-be and my mom want me to spare him, but they have the soft hearts Tons of women. Of women. <laughs> <laughs> that should not be so funny to me, but holy shit, I love it. He's just so proud of himself. It's like just a few episodes ago, this, this guy was like, I'm going to tell my mom when Tyrion <laughs> slaps him. This really is like I told you all the time. Like God, I'm scared to get rich because if I had a billion dollars, billion with a B, I mm-hmm. would just become a super villain. Like I don't know how people who have money like that aren't. Like they have restraint. They just they just buy news networks and and permeate fucking fake shit all the time. Me, right. I would just buy literally a ray to blow up the moon. You know what I mean? <laughs> Joffrey's the same person. Joffrey's like right. I got absolute power, baby. We're killing everybody. <laughs> Which First is order of business, got to kill as many people as I can. Um, and that's what he tries to do. Um, but this time he succeeds. So he orders Sir Illyn Payne, the executioner for the throne, right. to cut off the head of Ned Stark. And Which again, few... in, in this moment, I just want to point out that uh, Sansa is fucking freaking out. And even Cersei is like, do not yeah. do this. Like she is really trying. Because again, as fucked up as she is, she is smart, man. Yeah, in a way that was I just wanted to point out that like, was this ever a fair fight? Like the truth is Cersei ran fucking circles around Ned Stark on the political, like backstabbing backdoor deal game. You know what I mean? So it's just like, she got it. She is smart enough to know there are ways to win without fucking starting wars. This is the, like as much as brand fallen being pushed out of a window, as much as any of this other stuff, this is the true inciting incident that sets forth the entire show the mm-hmm. void of uh, even though it's not really a void right but the power the, the the struggle the musical chairs we're trying to get that fucking throne man right and he's a fucking idiot he's these short-sighted so he he orders it ned is kind of taking in his final moments and he is slightly at peace because he does see um yorin kind of go to Arya, like you ain't looking at this like right turn around and protects her and holds her yeah right and i think in that moment like, that's as much uh comfort as you're gonna get right before you found out 30 seconds ago you were gonna be executed you know what right. i mean um but he takes it like a champ as well as anyone can take beheading as a champ and yeah. uh and i want to say this scene is so gorgeously shot mm-hmm. in the way the music cuts out um and there's just almost nothing but the sound of like wind and the birds right. And then his head gets fucking cut off. Well, again, he's oddly. And you hear the crowd just like this wave of whoa. Right. What I love about that is one, they don't really show it. They kind of do, but they don't. But more importantly, they never let Arya really see it. And I I love that. It's just like a, even from a morbid curiosity place, like you don't want to see that. You know what I mean? But they, they literally slow down time and then the thing happens and it's just close in on Arya. Right. Isn't that where we end? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and emotionally I'm shattered at this point. Right. And and again, literally I am so rarely watching any art and stopped like floored for a minute 
But I remember mm-hmm. seeing that and somehow not having it spoiled for me. Again, like that was the, the great thing. Somehow I went four years without ever having it spoiled. And just seeing that and being like, okay, so yeah. this is something else. <laughs> like yeah. I thought I knew what it was and then it did that episode. Right. Yeah, no, this, this, is, um, this is the episode where if you're paying attention, um, this is the episode that should confirm to you that you're not watching a traditional uh, fantasy show. And this is what drew me in like fully and totally. I was like on board with whatever this show decides to do next because um, I was expecting those tropes. I was expecting that familiarity. And like you said, it, it doesn't happen. That show robs you of any security that the characters that you are growing attached to are going to make it. Right. It robs you of any security that, you know, the tropes that you know are going to see you through. This is a universe where anyone can die and that they are punished for um, having good intentions but bad execution. Yeah, I mean, bad people don't really die. I mean, they do sometimes, but not the people that are truly wicked. And even right. when they do get their fucking come up in Slater, anytime they get their justice, it's like... It's almost not ever satisfying. Ever, ever. Yeah. You're like, oh, that was that felt good for two seconds. And then you immediately right. like, well, that didn't negate any of the horrific shit they did <laughs> and right. the actions that they took that are still in effect well after the right. fact. You know what or I mean? there, there will be an even more evil character over here, like waiting in the wings. And you're like, well, okay, this guy's gone, but this fucker is waiting over here. Right. Um, yeah. So do you want to br- uh, quickly move over to the final episode of the season? Yeah, um, let's do it. Um, uh, episode Fire 10. And Blood. Fire and blood. And, and again, you know, what's interesting, and this is another trope of the show. This is something we see repeated in, in, in other seasons. The mm-hmm. holy shit moment, right, which television has taught us, you end on a holy shit moment. Got to bring them back next year. Um, the holy shit moments largely happen in episode nine. One exception that happened on episode eight. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, the big wow moment has been in episode nine. Episode tens serve the purpose of kind of reorienting you to uh, kind of put everyone back in where they're going. Now that this cataclysmic thing happened, how do we move on? And that's right. largely what this episode kind of does and in really interesting ways, man, because they set up a lot of stuff. Um, I don't want to spend too much time in the north because there's not a lot that's going on but there's a moment where bran has that dream about right. his father dying and they go to the crypts and as they come out of it they are informed that he dies which right. i'm like all right little foreshadowing maybe yeah. maybe like Bran starting some, to there's a little bit here. of magic in the world or absolutely yeah. um i want to jump to the riverland or yeah the riverlands as soon as i can which is sure. um i lots going on here because the the starks are made aware they, they're all told that mm-hmm. hey ned's dead um yeah Catelyn's kind of broken up about it, but she has to kind of be strong because Rob is broken up about it. Right. But he Isn't has to he be like strong. hitting a tree with his sword. Yeah. And Catelyn's like, your sword. He's like, yeah, my dad's dead. <laughs> that's, that's literally what they're <laughs> concerned about. Like, it's fucking crazy to me, man. Like, this is an expensive sword. <laughs> she um, put away in his sword fund for years for that sword. What? Um, uh, the, the, so the, the point is here though, I'll say this because it's interesting is she really, she's trying to not only console him, but to tell him the importance of how he handles this, because right. this, this is the big moment. This is a transformative moment. This is a, uh, before Christ after death landmark, uh, time in your life. And beyond that, now you are the guy like, that's mm-hmm. what she's trying to get, get him to know. And so there's this whole debate on whether they're going to support Renly or whether they're going to support Stannis, both of which have made 
claims uh, to the right. throne. So now you already have that information out in the wind that like, hey, both of these guys want this throne. That is going to be a, something to keep an eye on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, John has always been loyal to the Baratheons. Well, the Stark family has, has always been uh, loyal to the Baratheons. So Rob and Catelyn initially are just trying to figure out like, well, who are we Which going Baratheon? for? Yeah. At no point, and again, this is actually really sweet because it's it kind of tells you what you need to know about the Starks that they are selfless to a fault. They're not really about like they have titles and they have a, a status, but it's not important. Yeah. To them, you know what I mean? Because right. the, the the Northerners, some of the Bannermen, are like, "How about fuck both of those guys, King of the North?" Right? Like we get the introduction <laughs> of the right. like Northern Independence. Man, we're way bigger than King's Landing. Why are we ruled by these people? And you know right. what? I'm only loyal to the Starks. I have never been loyal to a Baratheon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It really is a beautiful fucking moment, dude. It's like yeah. because Rob kind of has to. And it's, it's like it's that saying. healing moment that we all need. You know, where like there's something triumphant happening, like there's right. some some amount of hope that's building right now, and it's like they're propping up the son in place of the father and saying exactly Fuck all of this. Yeah. What it also shows you is just how good of a man Ned Stark was. That there's not right. even a second of doubt. They're like, no, there's no hesitation. Feel, yeah, yeah, we feel loyalty to you, which I thought was really great. Uh, later in that same uh, part of the world, Catelyn talks to Jamie, who's been captured at this point and we do get the not the revelation because we knew it the whole time but catelyn gets the confirmation rather that he yeah he, he did it he pushed right out of that window yeah. won't admit it won't won't say what he did it why he did it but right. will admit that he does it to begin with um mm-hmm. and again we're not at redemptive jamie quite yet he's still no. kind of a righteous piece of shit at this point but he's been taken down a peg like he's sitting in oh, like sure. a fucking shit and mud covered pen you know tied to a post i actually kind of love it dude (laughs) well because again it's like you know and i hate to always put everything in campbell but that's like it it just makes sense to me where it's like okay now this guy is in an unfamiliar place and his hero's journey which everyone has that's what's so amazing about the show everyone has their own he got accelerated really quickly he crossed the threshold into the unfamiliar he is in a a place where he's unsure of himself even right this Um, is the guy with the spotless armor now reduced to this yeah it's kind of amazing Dude, it's like really, I don't know. I, really, I just, it's such a small little detail that they do such a good job with. Um, but yeah, so hold on. Where are we at? My bad. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Okay. So yeah, he doesn't tell why. That's, that's, that's right. Um, so where was the, are we back at the Lannister camp at this point? I'm trying to remember. Uh, we can talk about the Lannisters. I, I don't know chronologically where we're at, but we can go uh, uh, location by location here. Um, right. So you want to talk about the Lannisters? Yeah, quick? let's just go there quickly. I'm trying to remember what even happened there. I just remember him being um, like not happy about shit. <laughs> well, Tywin uh, appoints Tyrion as acting hand in a really surprising scene. That's the um, big one. Yeah. T- Tywin is basically like laying out what the situation is and how we have to pick up the pieces of like the king's very rash decision mm-hmm. um, and kind of seizes the opportunity. Uh, but he's going to go command his army while Tyrion is left to run things at the capital and bring the king to heal is right. more or less what he says. Yeah. So like for Tyrion, this is a huge shocking moment because his father uh, has sees no value in him and never has. And here he is giving him the keys to the fucking kingdom. He's like, run this shit. I'm trusting you to run this until right. I return. And I've told you from the beginning when we were like, when I first watched this like years ago, I told you that this was my emotional entry point was yeah. just like, ah, oh, that fucking boy, he, the dwarf saves the whole 
fucking realm, man. And right. no one gives him credit <laughs> for it. It just breaks my heart. And this really is the beginning of that moment because, again, Tyrion has always been self-assured but is bursting with insecurity because that's all he's known his entire life. And, right. yeah, wear it like armor. He says hmm. that. He succeeds in it 90% of the time. Still yeah. gets affected by it occasionally. Right. This but, is really- but again, like showing you anytime any one of these Lannister kids with all their bravado and all their declarations, when they're put in the room with their father, um, he, yeah, he trumps all of it. Right. They immediately shut up. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, man. I don't know. And so that's like the arc that I'm most interested to kind of track in season two when we do this. Yeah, for um, sure. But it, it is a really big, important thing. But it also kind of, it, well, it doesn't sideline him because we spend a lot of time with Tywin. But yeah. it, it allows him to be in different parts of the world, which, again, allows for one of my favorite things that season two does, period. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm yeah, big fan of that. Um, jumping over to King's Landing very quickly. Uh, this is really like just a Joffrey's a piece of shit thing. Like, you, if you didn't know immediately, right? Right. Uh, you get some context clues. There's, a, there's like a bard who makes up a song about King Robert's death. Joffrey mm-hmm. hears it and is like, your tongue or your fingers, man. Your tongue or your fingers. And right. uh, the guy chooses the tongue. I n- will never understand that. That's crazy to me. But, you know, whatever. Um, it just shows that he's cruel as fuck over something that's kind of innocuous. And you know those songs are going to be sung all throughout fucking, what is it, Flea, Flea's Bottom? Is that what it is? Flea? Yeah, Flea Bottom. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's one of those things where it's like a gross overreaction. And then if that wasn't enough, <laughs> okay. This scene, this scene really breaks my heart because, again, I'm putting my, myself in the shoes of 13-year-old Sansa Stark, okay? Right. Just lost her father, being held captive in a foreign place. She's from the mm-hmm. north, man. She likes the cold weather. This shit's weird to her. <laughs> um, hey, let's come out to this bridge. Oh, let's look at these fucking decapitated heads, one of which, on a spike, is your papa. What right. the fuck, man? <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is this the scene where she almost kills Joffrey? Which brings yeah. me to that point. But it, this is my this is my favorite scene of, of this entire King's Landing thing for this one reason, which is, yeah, for a moment, she sees him on that edge. She's like, hey, just push him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he just fell. I didn't see my point right. is she contemplates it. She actively, I think, starts... Like her eyes just glaze it. over and she's yeah. about to do it and then uh, stops her, but the fucking hound. The hound. And, but yeah. this is the scene that I love because I told you that the hound is one of my favorite characters, but they're so patient with him that really we don't get a lot of moments with him at all. I think the, the, the second moment or the first moment that you get anything emotionally real from him is season two. It's the, the black uh, water, the, the big yeah. fight scene. But this is a, pre, a preamble to that. This is showing that there is something here. He absolutely can see what Sansa's thinking about doing. Right. And when he confronts her, he doesn't confront her and then jails her, doesn't put her in the yeah. docks. He warns her. Like, it's very paternal mm-hmm. in a really weird way, but it shows you that there's so much more to this guy than just being right. the dog, you know? Exactly. Like he, he sees what the king is. He knows who the king is and he wants to protect this person right. um, in his own way. And it's, it's really, it is, it's kind of lovely to see this brutish character just get more and more humanized as we go. Right. Cause he's still uh, like uh, an instrument for violence, but sometimes he's of course, but he, got but those he, moments. he has like the most redemptive arc of anyone. And I think like now that he's been fully redeemed in later seasons and we'll keep that mostly to a uh, silence, but uh, it, it's going to be interesting if he has to kind of walk it back. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm most worried about for him. But uh, right. Let's jump to the wall very quickly um, because, uh, you know, again, John tries to leave in this episode. He's like, ah, get right. the fuck out of here. 
but he and, isn't able to do his, it. His all of his friends chase after him, right? Right. And Which like, is actually kind of sweet, man, isn't you're it? A fucking idiot. Yeah, like his friends who were trying to kill him a few episodes ago. We really cover a lot of ground in a few episodes, and they make you believe it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, and the big thing here is that uh, you know Lord Commander Mormont knows that he tried to leave, and he's just like. We're going to chalk that up to don't do it again. Yeah, and right. Also, we're going to go beyond the wall. <laughs> so yeah. like, they kind of put that all out there very, very quickly. Um, right. And they're so they're the, going to try to find Benjamin. Right. Well, that's what yeah. they say. Like, but the, mm-hmm. the, the, the other thing to it is like, well, we got to get these wildlings too. And there's white walkers out there. Also, yeah, there's we a lot them. of things we have to do is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, it's almost like Benjamin is literally like the third priority in that. Like, right. we go kill some like, wildlings. Also, we might find that guy. He's fine. Oh, man. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much it for the, for the wall, for pretty much everywhere else. And the season ends. Um, in a place where in retrospect you feel like of course it had to end that way that's the only way it was ever going to end you know what i mean um she uh danny we're back in the east danny wakes up oh go ahead i want to say one more thing i don't want to forget Arya. um has officially made her escape oh did we not mention Arya? i'm so sorry yeah i I could be wrong but i don't did yeah so so she is disguised as a boy named ari oh great fake name um Traveling with Richard. the yeah, traveling with the new recruits of the Night's Watch. Um, right. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much where we. It's a really bad name. She couldn't do anything. Couldn't do Skeeter, Skip, yeah. Scooch, Skip, Scooch, <laughs> Scooch. I mean, I just anything's better than Ari. Right. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, Scooch would be better. Are you Arya Stark? <laughs> no, I'm Scooch. <laughs> like it's way better. Man. <laughs> Um, all right, but can we go? Can we jump to the east now? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure we talked about that. Danny awakes because Danny lost consciousness as she went into labor. As Jorah one does. Her, yeah, that happens all the time. Apparently, Jorah took her across the threshold. We heard some horrific blood magic thing. When she wakes up, she finds out Jorah's like, "Hey, I'm really sorry, Khaleesi. Your son died. You know, he he wasn't right. wasn't good. And but yeah. was he dead for natural causes, or was he dead because that fucking life spell that the witch the Bruja put on him and right. shouldn't have gone over there? So it was a whole thing. And we also yeah. find out that the, the child is like deformed, and right? Scales and yeah, weird non-human shit. Well, just part dragon, part Dothraki, man. It's a, it's a fucking weird combo, you know. Uh, the spell technically worked in as much that Cal Drago is like. Alive, alive but it's beating but is that a life <laughs> that's my yeah. question. this is a terry shivo question but in game of thrones prism man this really like- is <laughs> terry shivo part two jesus <laughs> sorry you said part two and it just cracked me up like it's it literally is the sequel like the, the opening like we part- as a country had just healed from the terry shivo debacle and then we get this episode this was worse than ned stark getting executed <laughs> right we for, all, for all the cultural conversations about like the 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 the, the display of rape and agency and females in this show let's be real it's all about this moment okay seeing jason mimosa you know in a vegetative state jason momo uh yeah man it's 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 pretty amazing momo challenge um Um, but yeah so 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 sorry yeah don't do that to me god damn it sorry so uh so yeah things are fucked up this is no life for a cow she kind of knows that um danny I mean, makes a hard decision, but the right decision, uh, right. and decides to kind of like what smother him, right? She just yeah, she smothers him, him, and um, decides to put his body on a on a pyre along right. with 
her dragon eggs. Right. Because she's uh, blowing it all up, man. She's like, right. fuck it. My, my life's over. And, and, they... and pretty much the only people left are just a few stragglers at this point. It's just like some slaves and uh, some members of the, the cow, but like the rest has abandoned her. Right. Well, she, she straight up declares herself. She, she does like a Napoleon thing. Like she, yeah. she sits on the crown and crowns herself. I'm king. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm Cal now. Um, and she, she doesn't get the most, the most support uh, right. the, as the body burns. And you're like, well, this is a low point for her. And she's like, fuck it. I'm going in. I'm going mm-hmm. in coach. And she literally walks into the flames. Right. Which is holding her fucking, I mean, her dead husband. Did they put the kid in there too? Like, is that what happened? Like it's fucked it's up. Possible. Pretty yeah, sure they probably. did. And the dragon eggs. All right. So everything's mm-hmm. just burning, burning to a crisp. She walks in and you're like, well, that's all they wrote for Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> she dead, right? Like so that's an interesting way to wrap up her story. Okay, right. I mean, well, yeah. again, if this is the one thing and they don't right. bring her back, you're like Ugh, dark. <laughs> like everything's yeah. just dark. This woman's self emulated because she's like, I can't do it, man. I'm right. not gonna fucking deal with it. But it's real downer it's, ending. But instead, in the sober dawn of day, the next day, Shora Mormont is our is our, our conduit to the audience. He looks into the fucking pile, and what does he see? Like as he approaches it, like Danny is very much alive, yeah. and beyond that, which is a miracle in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, three baby dragons have hatched, right. and they're like chilling. They're like, Wah! they're all cute right now. Um, right. But dude, tiny. dragons exist. Dragons are not long gone, right. as as many people thought, and uh, magic has returned to the world. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. And, and, and here's the thing. And as far as for the rest of the show, this is when magic becomes a little bit more prominent. It's certainly not on display like, you know, Gandalf and shit, but right. you do see more of it. And especially Danny's travels in, the, in season two, you see a lot more of like, oh, yeah. that's definitely there's, not normal. I'm just saying, there's like a charlatan who's like oh. drunk on like blue wine, who's just like apparating and shit. It, there's also a fucking shadow assassin. Uh, we, there's a whole thing. And season two yeah, is a goddamn know, labyrinth yeah. inside of a riddle, inside of an enigma. But it's got its issues, but I love it. Um, yeah. So o- overall uh, thoughts on this first season. If you had to give it a, a grade. Not that we do that kind of thing. Right. Uh, what, I'm what a would little you hesitant to do that. I mean, honestly, listen, retrospect is everything. Perspective is everything. I think that this, aside from those false notes that I talked shit about, uh, I, th- I think that this was as b- about as good of a first season as you can possibly have. And I know they had a roadmap, you know, mm-hmm. so I know it's a little bit easier than plotting out something completely new. But it, it really told every story it had to tell effectively it constantly subverted your expectations and at a certain point you genuinely did not know like you were watching here's again i'm watching twin peaks again i'm rewatching the return right now and i'm watching with a friend of mine and i'm just like from scene to scene you don't know whether you're supposed to be laughing whether this is horrifically serious whether you know it's this this or that there's so many different things Mm -hmm. and i told you that was ironic when we were watching it originally because it was airing the same time as season seven of game of thrones and i was like I uh, haven't felt that way about a show where I genuinely didn't know how I was going to feel about something, right? Right. Season one kind of checks off all of those things. At some point, you're watching purely because you are no longer able to get in front of the story like you are with a bunch of other TV shows. Where at least you, oh, I kind of saw that death coming. Oh, I kind of thought that betrayal was coming. Every single action was a subversion of that. And even though you might have had ideas of this guy's loyal or disloyal, you were still genuinely shocked every time you needed to be shocked. There's a reason why 
every episode ended and you were like, I guess we're doing another one because it's right. the most easily bingeable show ever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, in terms of that, my opinion, I mean, I'd give it like a really, like an A minus. I mean, it has some problems that anything does. Early season isn't great, but basically episode four on just yeah. great streamlined. Yeah. No, it's just, it's very expertly paced. It, you know, as we said a hundred times, parses out information really well. Um, I'd probably give it like a B plus A minus somewhere in that range. Um, right. Just with the caveat that like, I know that the highs that this show can hit hasn't hit them yet. Sure. Like it's not there yet, but this season is so necessary for setting up those moments later. Right. And it, it is, it's such a, a domino effect. Um, the plotting in this show, it's honestly kind of fucking unreal. And the closest analog we have to it is probably the wire. Um, as I've said to you a couple times and you said it, um, yeah, it, it really is. It's just seeing all of these characters uh, intersect and interweave and affect each other across the fucking continent. Well, that's the thing I like the most is that it's not just about stories connecting. It's about people's individual arcs being realized through the actions of other people, whether they're there now or whether they, something they did from thousands of miles away dictated that. And right. it's just like such a goddamn wonderful thing. Where I mean, I've told you I'm at the point in my life where like, listen, I can skimp on story a little bit if the character moments are there. And mm-hmm. this is a show that didn't sacrifice either. Um, and they, they had a, a thankless job of having to set up thousands of years of yeah. history. Like I said, the pilot is a microcosm for how I feel about the whole thing, which was like, didn't love it at first, didn't love the first season of Game of Thrones initially. Thought right. it was good, didn't love it. Watching it now, I have this new perspective and I honestly think it's, it's an achievement. It did such a hard job pretty gracefully, man. Right. And we also have the contrast of how we feel about the most recent one, which we will get into later. But um, yeah, I just want to thank everybody for listening. I know this ended up being like probably just as long, if not longer than well, our previous yeah, episode. Not as long. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I was like, oh, get through this one just fine. Like the hubris, the yeah. gall. I really well, I thought think that I, we, I thought this would be like an hour. I had no idea we'd yeah. do another two hours. <laughs> Four hours for one right. season of television. So the I problem is like on. twice as many things happen in the back half of the season. That's what we didn't account for. Yeah, um, that's true. That you need to just explain and cover. And we probably missed a shitload of things to those listening who know. I'm sorry that we missed those things. Right. Uh, well, I'll moments. take better notes. How about that? And then we'll. I'll, I'll actually take any notes. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> We'll take it well, from there. So we're committed to doing this. I mean, obviously, I think we'll have other episodes of movies and shit tackling other topics and stuff because mm-hmm. this isn't something we need to necessarily rush on um, because the new episode doesn't come out until six weeks or something. Maybe we do need to rush on this, man. I, I think we, we actually kind of do because if it takes fuck. two two episodes uh, for each season, right. seasons are going to get more dense. Uh, well, here we go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> what have is- we committed to? <laughs> No, well, my point is this, that even if we put out an episode talking about a movie or something in between these episodes, we will do all seven seasons. So, you know, keep right. an eye out for that. But um, any parting words about season one of Game of Thrones, Max? I just want to say, yeah, this is the probably the purest adaptation that the show will ever do of the books. Um, it takes liberties, but not in the way that the other seasons do. Um, and that's something I really appreciate is just how faithfully adapted it is. It brings Martin's world to life. Which reading the book, um, you think that would be an impossibility, but they did it. And yeah, right. my appreciation has definitely grown. Um, I'm looking forward to exploring these uh, other seasons with you because we're getting into the really good shit now. Right, man. I'm really excited. Also, just a quick mention, Ned Stark, 
Good character, man. And again, very strange that the guy on the poster is no longer a part of the show. The guy who was driving the momentum of the storytelling is gone. How does the show react to that? And that's something we're going to dive into when we do season two. So, um, yeah, man, I felt really good about this. This is good. So we'll be back. uh, We'll be back next week, I guess. And we'll do season two. If you're down. Is that cool? Yeah, I'm down. Sounds good. So we'll see you next week. All right. All right.